I gotta ask, how does one become a libertarian? Because uh, it's something you're born with. Really? Um, yeah. So, so most people kind of a special gift. Yeah. So it's it's something that you really have to to understand that has sort of always been there all along, right? Um, a lot of people have their own belief in things uh, politically. Uh, what distinguishes libertarians from anyone else were what we would call colloquially authoritarians is uh is that you believe whatever you believe and you don't want to force other people to believe how you believe you think that that it's your responsibility so that's really what makes somebody a, a libertarian is that you go look if i if i'm religious then i think that's right for me but i can't determine that for you and i can think it's right for you but i don't think that it's the the role of the government to tell you, well, you have to believe this way. The other side is also true, to go, well, I don't believe in anything, and so I think it's the government's role to force people to not engage in any religious practice, right? So libertarianism really at the root is self-ownership, right? Property rights, and that everybody has the, the right and ability to, to rule themselves. So that's, that's the basis of libertarianism. That's kind of the standard speech you gotta give, of like, hey guys, freedom party over here and this is kind of where we're leaning so so it it has a lot to do with the non-aggression principle right is that we don't think about uh not think about we think about it all the time we get into arguments with people uh and things can get heated but we think about uh the concept called the non-aggression principle which essentially states that uh that you're not wanting to engage in violence towards someone uh to promote or push your ideas so you, for example, you're in a conversation with somebody, you're trying to cooperate, trying to, to learn more about them, having these conversations, your format is very libertarian in that you don't force anybody to show up to have the conversation. If they don't want to talk about something, they're free to not to. It's, it's the baseline idea that you respect them, they respect you, and that we can all voluntarily cooperate together to meet our individual objectives. Do you feel that that force aspect is more apparent in the other two parties? It's, it's definitely the modus operandi for uh, the Democrats and the Republicans. Um, they, they are increasingly, as they become more and more extreme, uh, each of them sort of leans into this idea that we have to force the other side to do what we want them to do. Whereas libertarians go, well, look, if you want to get an abortion, that's up to you. It's not the government's position or place to say you can, must, or should not have any of those things, right? It's that, that you're the best determining uh, authority for what's right for you. So we like, to, we like to really lean into the unique and competent individual aspect to go, you're unique, we can't decide for you what's right, and we think that you're competent to be able to decide for you what it is that you want to do. That seems to be a foreign concept today, but hearing you say that, it sounds like that would be the most ideal situation. It's, is, it's the foundation of our country, right? Foundation is, of liberty. Yeah. Yeah, right? It's, it's the entire uh, baseline American understanding that all men are free and that they're free to act according to their own will. And women. And women. Men, quote, colloquially, right? We're using men as a catch-all term. Yeah, but, or, or anyone. Yeah, and, and, anyone. anyone. That includes all genders. People. Of do you still believe, I guess, under the banner of the Libertarian Party, is there still a role for an overarching law base? 
in terms of the federal government? Would there still be situations where they need to step in and dictate a universal rule that wouldn't just be left up to each individual or each state? That's a good question. Um, uh, I think uh, most people in the party would like to see the end of the federal government, um, especially when it comes to war, foreign conflict. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a subset of the Libertarian Party because it's a, it's a big umbrella, right? Uh, the Libertarian Party consists of uh, left-leaning libertarianism and right-leaning libertarianism. Uh, the left is more anarcho-communism at the extremes, and the, the right ends up at anarcho-capitalism. Um, but there are those within libertarianism as a whole that believe in something called minarchism, where it's just the, the minimum necessary government to just function. You have to have some type of uh, rule base, some semblance of order to keep things uh, peaceful. Really, most people, people are peaceful just in their day-to-day -day interactions. Most of your friendships are based in anarchy in that you don't consider yourself the, the, the bigger, more powerful, or better friend, right? And that you freely associate with each other where it's like, oh, you want to come over and hang out? Yeah, sure. Like you want to catch up sometime? You want to have lunch? Yeah, sure. I'm not going to force you to, to show up. Uh, there are those within the Libertarian Party that believe in constitutionality, that we should revert back to um, sort of baseline governance and get rid of a lot of different state laws that, that do exist. Really, that falls under sort of a decentralized uh, autonomy movement of saying, look, your area is able to decide for you what you think is is what you want to have as as law. What do you want to enforce? What's important to you? Uh, what Sacramento decides isn't necessarily going to work for Humboldt County. And so being able to say, look, at the state level, there needs to be some type of governance, but really it needs to go further than that. It needs to come down to the individual communities because for Sacramento to say, oh, well, you know what? We're going to increase our uh, our logging efforts in and around the Sacramento area. Well, Humboldt County might not want that. And so it's really the idea that, look, the local governments, the local uh, organizations are the best arbiters of sort of where they want things to go. And it's also the one that you end up with the most accountability because people tend to know where their local council members live, where their board of supervisors lives, and they can show up to the meetings and go, hey, we're not happy with what you're doing. Whereas for us to load up and go, well, we're going to head to Sacramento and have a conversation with Gavin, probably not going to happen. And he knows that. And so he tends to just do whatever he wants and just go, yeah, whatever. I know I've got enough support in other areas. It doesn't matter what Humboldt County wants. Do you guys feel like you fall into the middle of that spectrum? between the fringe left and the fringe right in terms of the Libertarian Party? Uh, the party itself, or do you mean us personally inside the Libertarian Party? You guys inside the Libertarian Party. Where do you uh, two align? I, uh, when I take the test, I end up right in the middle, right? But I feel like socially I'm more uh, of a uh, ANCOM uh, and fiscally I'm more of a ANCAP, if that makes any sense. So. ANCOM and ANCAP being? Uh, so anarcho-communist, ANCOM, and ANCAP anarcho-capitalist. I didn't know that those two also applied to the Libertarian Party. I've heard the anarcho-communism that's right. come up a little bit, and that always seemed a little more fringe left in the in terms of we need to like abolish the police, we got to reset some right. things. That also applies to the Libertarian Party. Yeah, Absolutely. so there's there's definitely like justice reform is is a big thing for the Libertarian Party. We feel that that the 
uh, administrative state has created such an apparatus that people can't be free. They did a study uh, a while ago to figure out how many crimes people break on a daily basis. And the fact that anybody can just in their day-to-day life break any crimes and be living in fear that somebody might come after them or that they might be at the wrong end of the enforcement wing of the government, it, that's not freedom. That's, that's tyranny. People should not live in fear of, of just living their life. But what about fear of repercussions? I think that's where people get a little uh, worried. That's where the legal system comes in. That's where if uh, you're wronged, you're, you're free to have a lawsuit, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's against a, a sole person or a government entity or a official. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Can you pull that sucker just oh, in yeah. a little bit? You can move okay. that mic stand cool. to wherever you're comfortable. You're not going to break it. It's pretty locked in. Awesome. <laughs> there we go. Uh, the the anarcho-communist side tends to tends to lean sometimes authoritarian when they go into their their desire for justice reform is they have a very earnest desire for the government to right previous historical wrongs. And and they look at different communities and they go, well, this community was wronged at this time. And so government needs to correct it. That correction, though, is never going to be adequate. It's, it's only going to be retribution. It's never really going to be justice. And so to, to really have justice, you can only act in the moment and going forward and say, we're going to do better now and into the future, as opposed to trying to right previous wrongs. We can, we can look up historical examples of things for, say, locally. Uh, we've got Native American communities that we, that we have to be aware of and that we have to cooperate with. And for us to go back historically and go, well, we're going to turn everything over back to these tribes. Well, now you've got a bunch of people who are going to immediately become homeless. I mean, if you think that you know, Humboldt County in Eureka is you know, the, the Humboldt capital of the, the northern California coast, We'll just wait until, you know, most of its 150,000 residents are all homeless because now none of their property is theirs. It all belongs back to the tribes. And now we're trying to correct historical wrongs by creating current contemporary wrongs. And so we just kick the can down the road. That's, that's not justice. That, that just creates more problems. Well, and that line of thinking is so outrageous if you follow out the logic, because where do we draw the line? Do we right. give it back to the tribe? That it was taken from, or do we give it back to the tribe that that tribe took it from? Do we start annexing Texas and California back to Mexico? I mean, where do we, where does it stop if we start playing that game? Well, and and the more libertarian answer would be leave it up to the current property owners, right? Say there's somebody who lives locally and they go, you know what? I want to move back east. I don't want to sell this property. Maybe they just want to give it back. And they go, you know what? You guys can have it. I don't want it. I'm out of here. And they can and they can give it back to the tribe and go, there you go. And that's up to the property owner. And we shouldn't have government standing in the way of people being able to do that. Or maybe they go, look, I do kind of want some money to, to move to New Hampshire. And so I'm going to sell this. And maybe they offer it up to the tribe first. And they go, do you guys want to buy this? Because that means that you're honoring property rights. It's a voluntary transaction. Nobody's being forced. And it's being done out of the goodness of their own heart. It's allowing people the opportunity to, to do good as opposed to forcing them to do it. No, no choice can be moral unless freely chosen. Somebody's forcing you to do something. There's no morality in that. I want to touch on the police aspect a little bit more because that kind of caught me off guard. 
with the anarcho-communism, and it's probably because I don't fully understand that concept. It's just been thrown around to me a couple times. If So the libertarian stance, would it align with the idea that we shouldn't have police or we should kind of retract some of the scope of what they do? Or what does that look like? Uh, personally, I feel that um, I wouldn't call them a, a necessary evil. I feel like at least starting with accountability would be the first step. Um, uh, defunding the police sounds like a great idea, you know? And if you had a strong enough community that was able to police itself, then that would work. Um, uh, if you don't have a strong community, you need the police. And that is basically the reason for their existence. So. Yeah, there's there's definitely an aspect of, of incrementalism about, about justice reform. Is we can't just go to, well, there's, there's no police. There's just nothing. Everybody go home, turn in your badges, turn in your guns. There's nobody here. Uh, there, there is definitely a way forward, though, in making sure that, like Jeff said, that we have accountability is, is a good first step. Just going, look, we want to make sure that people are being held accountable. Equality under the law means on both sides of that blue line, right? It's not that, that it's blue line team against everybody who's not. It's that we're all American citizens and that the law should apply equally. One of the steps to doing that is getting rid of uh, qualified immunity is a, uh, is a great way to, to start the conversation to go, look, it doesn't matter if you're a law enforcement officer or your job. If I did what you just did, then I would find myself with criminal and civil charges. That, that's where equality really starts is saying, look, it doesn't matter if, if you've gone through all the training, if in that moment you do something that any normal citizen would be guilty of outright to jail, do not pass, go start your 30 days, right? Guess what? That's where it has to start. It has to start with accountability and saying, if you make that decision, then you need to be held responsible for that decision. Your, your position, your training doesn't matter. It's, it's a moral question. The law is either based in morality or it's based on nothing. So would that look like an open carry society where everybody is kind of in essence protecting themselves or protecting those around them to some extent, but not in the same idea of some unified police force? They do say, out. sorry, they do say that a uh, armed society is a polite society. People push back against that though. People do not like the idea of everyone just running around with guns, especially in California. Sure. The, the funny part is, is California actually has more guns than Texas. Like just, I just, didn't know just that. by numbers. I didn't know right? that either. <laughs> we, we, have, we have more guns than Texas. And in fact, when you look at uh, fireship owner, firearm ownership rates, um, California has been on a huge rise for first-time firearm, uh, firearm owners. Is that post-lockdown, post-COVID? Uh, that, is, that is pre-lockdown and all the way through the lockdown is we have been, we have been trending up for these numbers. First-time firearm owners are in California. People are buying them because they don't feel safe. They see the riots. They see lockdowns. They see people on the news and other countries getting pulled out of their homes for going to otherwise peaceful protests and going, oh, yikes, I need to be able to defend myself. If the law enforcement officers aren't going to be showing up, I have to have something to defend myself with. Now, part of that conversation goes into learning how to just have a conversation with people. There's a lot of law enforcement contacts that people call the cops on their neighbors for that otherwise a conversation could go a long way to sort a lot of things out. Uh, but that means taking that risk on you. 
And if you've got a firearm with you, then you can feel a little bit more assured that, well, if it does get to this point, at least I can have some response. I'm not out here completely defenseless, right? There, the difference between peaceful and harmless is whether you're actually capable of violence. And so you can be peaceful by having that firearm with you when you go to that conversation. And you mentioned open carry. I, I think it's a terrible practice. Open carry is, is a preference, but personally, I feel it's, uh, it is completely uh, defeating the purpose of carrying firearms. Uh, you don't need to tell everybody you've got a firearm. You don't need to show everybody that you've got the firearm. Open carry, uh, to me, gives away a tactical advantage. Uh, former military, done training with law enforcement, and letting them know where your firearm is, is a, is a huge disadvantage. It takes away an entire aspect of existing peacefully in society where now you are possibly making yourself a target because now they get to go, oh, well, that guy has a firearm. I just need to get his gun. And now they've taken out a known variable. Concealed carry is obviously the way to go because it means that you maintain control of it. You maintain that, that, uh, that tactical uh, approach of going, nobody knows I have it. It's there. I know how to use it. And if I need to, then I have it on me. But otherwise, nobody needs to know that it's there. Yeah, I think concealed carry would be the way to go. Mm -hmm. I meant that more so in terms of constitutional carry, I guess, is the idea right. that everybody would be able to have access to a gun. Right, yeah. And so constitu constitutional carry is definitely a, uh, a different uh, conversation than, than open carry, right? Because now you're just, you're going from, well, who should be allowed and shouldn't be allowed to carry to how are we carrying, Yeah. right? Um, so I, I can see where that can get conflated and confused sometimes. Do you guys subscribe to the constitutional carry or do you think there should be limitations on who does have that access? Uh, I mean, really quick, I just wanted to touch on uh, California was an open carry state mm -hmm. uh, back uh, in the 70s. And um, the Black Panther Party uh, did an open carry um, protest at the state capitol. And uh, that scared a lot of uh, people. So uh, Ronald Reagan, who was uh, governor at that time, mm -hmm. uh, ended uh, open carry for Californians. I uh, didn't know that either. Yeah. So, so for all of, all of Reagan's virtues that uh, conservatives like to tout, yeah. he, uh, he was worse on, on firearms and gun rights than Obama. Trump was actually worse on, on gun rights than Obama as yeah. well. Trump got rid of, of bump stocks based off of a single incident that wasn't even connected to, to the accessory. He's also known for saying, uh, first we get the guns, then we go after due process. Correct. That's what Trump, Trump said. Trump said that? Yes. Correct. Wow, I wouldn't have guessed that either. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of those things that, that people often tend to overlook because they try to focus on whatever the current talking points are from the Democrat Party, the Republican Party. But when you want to talk about gun rights, uh, Reagan is, is one of the most hated people when it comes to true Second Amendment enthusiasm. Because uh, there's people that are firearm enthusiasts, and then there's actual Second Amendment advocates. And Second Amendment advocates... They hate Reagan for, for that exact reason right there, for the racist practice of going, oh, well, this, this group of minorities is trying to protect themselves from aggressive law enforcement at a protest. We can't have that. Let's Get rid of the, the open carry. Yep. You should have brought your shirt. I should have. I've got a shirt that says all gun control is racist. So I, I wear it to, to festivals and tabling events and whatnot because the root of gun control is, is racist. It has always been based in the idea that certain people and Historically, we know who those certain people were, should not have firearms. And it has grown out from there to just 
try and be a little bit more pernicious in who is and is not allowed. And yet politicians always have their bodyguards. They can always hire security. If you're wealthy enough, you can, you can hire as many armed security officers as you want. But the common man who can just barely afford a firearm, the single mother who's trying to protect her, her kids, can't have a firearm because of where she lives or potentially the, the neighborhood that she's in. Maybe mm-hmm. they have more aggressive policing procedures. I mean, we're, we're not too far away from stop and frisk in areas like New York. So these racist practices of targeting people and saying, well, this community can't have them or these types of people can't have these firearms has historically always been based in race. Do you think that it is still based in that or do you think now it has expanded to because it seems like it's it's just state level now where it's grown out of these communities and now it's just across. I mean, if you go to New York, you also have Chicago, Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, some of the strictest gun laws in the country. And yet. Insane shootings all the time. Correct. And people still point to the guns and say, no, we need to get rid of guns. Right. And, and that goes part, part way to that, uh, that sort of soft racism of ignoring all of these, these deaths in these communities and going, yeah, so what? We had all these shootings in Chicago over the weekend, but we need to implement uh, gun control in, in these areas. And you go, well, wait a minute. What about all these, all these deaths happening here? Can't we have a conversation about these communities? What's the actual issue here? Because it's obviously not the guns. I mean, the United States as a whole, we have more firearms than, than almost any other country in more the world. More firearms than people. More firearms yeah. than people. And, and yet, if you get rid of the five most uh, violent cities in the United States for gun, gun violence, we go from the top five to the bottom five out of 193 countries. So it's, it's one, of those, one of those aspects where you go, look, what's the actual problem here? Because it's not firearms. In fact, we have more firearms this year than we did last year, and the gun violence rate has gone down. Those are statistics that most people, I would argue, probably don't know. Probably don't want to hear in some sense. It's, yeah. it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient because it forces us to, to have to come to terms with reality as opposed to what we'd like it to be. We'd like the truth to be that the more firearms there are, that, that there's more gun violence. But that's just not how the numbers go. And so we have to go, okay, well, what's the actual issue here? Because if more guns actually means less gun violence, then I look at it as a, as a win for the Second Amendment community because they're out there educating more people. Like I said, California has a ton of first-time firearm owners, and people have been taking the opportunities to talk to their friends and go, hey, like, let me show you how to use that. Let's go to the range. Because this community of firearms ownership is larger than just you know, the firearm manufacturer selling it to you and going, okay, good luck. There's an entire support group of anybody who owns firearms should be willing to go, you want me to show you how to shoot that? How to safely handle it? I tell, I tell friends and associates all the time, if you want me to teach you or your kids about firearm safety, I am completely willing to do that. Free of charge, I'll just sit down with you guys and we'll go over firearm parts because the chances are your kids or you are going to encounter a firearm and you want to arm these people with the knowledge that they need to be safe and peaceful when they encounter these things, as opposed to acting negligently and out of complete ignorance and end up hurting themselves or others. I mean, if we really want to have a conversation about safety, it has to come through education. It can't come through force. And that's where it should start is uh, early in school. Yeah. I, I, they should have firearm classes, I believe, at least from fifth grade up. See, people um, hear that, though, and they instantly attach that to school shootings. And sure. then the conversation just evolves because nobody wants that. 
teaching somebody how to use a firearm responsibly uh, is not going to fix the mental health issue, um, but it will help uh, children not be so obsessed with things like guns that are, you know, out of touch or out of reach because of their age. If, if you treat it like a tool, if uh, responsible parents uh, interact with their children uh, you know, and teach them, mm -hmm. uh, I, fully, I fully believe that would make a much safer society, just like with drugs. Uh, parents are afraid to talk to their kids about drugs. So um, they end up experimenting. They end up uh, sometimes hurting themselves or killing themselves because uh, they never had the talk. They never knew what was going to, you know. I mean, of course, there's D.A.R.E. programs and, you know, no drugs, you know. Don't no do drugs. drugs. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, that's great and all, but, you know, it's not really addressing the issue. Um, and the issue is uh, responsibility. Mm -hmm. Wasn't the D.A.R.E. program, wasn't that also Reagan's wife? Isn't that? Nancy. That? Yes. Yeah, Nancy. Yes. And, uh, and, it, and it generated more interest in, uh, in substance abuse than it discouraged uh, substance abuse, right? The, the same idea with the, uh, the stranger danger program, you know, is that, uh, that created more victims of sexual assault because more often than not, people are sexually assaulted by somebody that they know. It's not a stranger. It's somebody that they've built trust in a relationship with that then betrays that trust. And so teaching kids from a young age, oh, well, it's these people that pull up in the white van and say, Hey, you want to get in, you know, you want some candy? Those often are not the people that are that are doing that. Those are not the ones that are that are preying on children. It's it's people that they know, people that they're more familiar with. I was looking at the statistics the other day. I uh, I advocate for a, a group of sexual assault survivors, and and we were looking at the numbers of sexual assaults by Catholic priests, and uh, for the entire year the number was two hundred and eight sexual assault by Public school employee, 21,000. Wow. For, for the year. For the year. And uh, by percentage, 0.5% uh, likelihood that you'll get sexually assaulted by a Catholic priest, whereas by a public school employee, it's 1.61%. So it's, it's three times what it is. Wow, I was expecting that to be reversed. I thought no. you were going to go, you were going to slam there, dunk There's on not the that many priest Catholic right priests out there, but there are a ton, a ton of public school employees because we're not just talking teachers, right? Coaches, we're, yeah, janitors. Correct. Um, yeah. So, so the, the numbers don't, don't really reflect people's ideas that they build up where they go, oh, well, we need to prepare kids to be afraid of strangers. That's not where it's happening. Sexual assault is happening with with people that they're familiar with, that betray that trust, that, that violate the sanctity of, of their personhood, right? And so it's, it's this idea that we sort of need to get out of, out of popular society, that the, the stranger is the danger, and that we need to familiarize kids with drugs, but then don't actually talk to them about anything of actual worth, any value. So, oh yeah, you know, they're going to try and sell you these things, and they don't really talk about how, why, what happens, why people are doing these things, right? Because substance use is self-medication, right? People self-medicate in all sorts of ways. And it goes back to the mental health crisis, which is also tied into it, where if we don't talk to kids about mental health and how to take care of themselves mentally, we set them up for failure. We can't be setting, setting these kids up to, to fail in life and think that they're, they're going to go and be better than us in any way, shape, or form. We're literally setting them up to, to fight demons that that we have no concept of simply because we're trying to protect them from those things. I mean, you, you cannot 
raise your child to slay dragons if you're the one who kills every snake that comes into the garden. You have to let them understand and encounter these things so that they can grow and experience and be better. Now, it's not to say you, you know, you shoot your kid up with heroin, right? To be like, all right, we're going to, we're going to take you through the crucible, right? But like you, you want to make sure that there's, there's actual knowledge around this because if there's knowledge, there's not as much room for fear and there's not as much room for error because you're acting out of, out of a place of experience as opposed to completely ignorantly and just stumbling into addiction sometimes. Well, I mean, people are just, and I, I throw myself into this too. People are just so uninformed today, especially accounting for the access to information. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially regarding the gun debate, it is so infuriating. And I often run into this wall where you try to talk to somebody about it and they they open the line with, well, AR stands for assault rifle. And you know, it's just going to, it just tanks. You know, the conversation right. just is starting. It's another good example. Yeah. Starting from a place where there's no information. Mm-hmm. And so how do you debate somebody? How do you challenge their ideas when the platform that they're going to build their opinion off of is so flawed. Right. So, so let's start out from, from a place of experience. Let's, let's clear some things up here. I have for you oh, yeah. uh, the world's smallest political quiz. It's 10 questions. You don't have to, to disclose to your audience what your score ends up being, right? Because we don't want to say whether you're, you know, yeah, one I might, be, other, I might right? be one of those AR people. Right. You, you never know. So, so there's that. Well, thank you. I will. And I'll throw this in after the podcast. Yep. I'll put my results out there right. just to hold myself accountable. But it's, it's, it's 10 questions. There's, there's personal issues, there's economic issues, and it's uh, agree, maybe, or disagree. And then you find where those two points intersect. And that's where generally you fall on the American political spectrum. So this is part of uh, Operation Politically Homeless from the Advocates for Self-Government. They are a nonprofit, nonpartisan group. To just help inform people so that way when they do have these conversations, they are speaking from a place of understanding as opposed to just shouting past each other what the talking points are. And more often than not, people are surprised to find out that they actually have more in common than they, than they think they do. Is this how you guys kind of red pill people into becoming libertarians? You say, well, your score, I mean, you kind of come to our side. What, what we do is we try to help inform people where they might find themselves best at home based on their, their values, based on their beliefs. The, the purpose of this quiz isn't to say, well, look at that. You're libertarian. You got to join us, right? Uh, you might be green. You, 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 might, you might be. Figure out your right? yeah, you guys have all of them on there. Libertarian, moderate, progressive, authoritarian, and conservative. I've, I've, to be honest, I have only met one person that after taking the quiz was authoritarian. And, and the conver- you got to stay away from that guy. It was, <laughs> it was hard because he was collecting signatures for, uh, for ballot initiatives. And, and I had a conversation with him and I was like, okay, you know, it seems like there's, there's a disconnect here. What's going on? And he takes the quiz and he comes back deeply authoritarian. He disagreed with almost everything and was like, nope, I don't think people should, should be able to uh, choose for themselves. I think that, I think it should be forced. I think there should be a draft. I think we should send people to war. I think the government has an interest in telling people who they can and can't sleep with. I think that that everything must be by the authority of the government and you go, okay, well, hopefully one day you, you start to form more of a, an open-minded opinion and trust yourself a little bit, right? To self-govern maybe. So. Yeah. And it's not an attack on anybody that is a conservative yeah, or, no. or liberal or deep authoritarian, which is 
basically all three the same. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but um, uh, it is uh, just to recognize that there are different uh, opinions and views mm -hmm. out there, and they need to be respected just as much. Uh, unless, of course, it's uh, has it anything to do with aggression or right. violence or anything like that. Yeah, people struggle with that nowadays. Coming to the table with somebody that disagrees with them. Yeah. <coughs> team sports. I mean, Two teams, team sports. Yeah, it, it becomes well, it's even more than team sports. It's a way of life. Yeah. yeah. It's who you are. And if somebody starts attacking that, they're, qu they're questioning you yeah. fundamentally. People, people build their entire identity around one, one uh, group yeah. that's not even like an immutable characteristic. It's literally Hatfields and McCoys. Well, you know, I'm, I'm for the loggers, so I'm against everybody else. Couldn't you just be for the sport? For the game? For the love of it all? No. But that's the conversation we usually try to have with people is to help them understand that on either side, there are extremes. And most people are in the middle. And most people agree on more than they disagree on. And if we spent more time working on the things that we actually agreed on, we could accomplish so much as opposed to bickering over the things that ultimately are of, of little to no consequence. There's so many things that, that we could be that we could be benefiting from as a community if we work together on the things that we actually can form coalitions around as opposed to going, well, we need to use the city council to ban all drag shows in the city. That, that's deeply authoritarian. That has nothing to do with liberty. People should be allowed to express themselves and should be able to attend entertainment if they want to. We shouldn't be banning it. We shouldn't be forcing it. We shouldn't say, you must go to the drag show. We also shouldn't say, you can't have those. That's, that's not the place for the government to decide. That's for each individual to decide, am I going to go there tonight or am I not? And that's, that's who should determine whether those things take place, is the actual participants, not, not some uninterested uh, body that's being lobbied by the loudest group at the moment. What about children in that regard? Is it up to the parent to decide what they choose to have their child engage in? Or does the state have a role in stepping in there? No, I mean, I, I feel parent rights uh, supersede anything. I mean, I don't think the state should have so much control over parents as they do now as far as uh, taking children away, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, if the parent uh, wants to take their children to a show that might not be age appropriate, uh, I would I would anticipate that as a learning experience. Like That is the reason why they're taking them to that show. Um, that's my opinion. What yeah. about if they're, they want their child to go work a job mm -hmm. at 12? They want them to go work the line at McDonald's. I was working when I was 13. <laughs> so, Different era, um, right? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, not see, so I, long ago though. Like not so long in, ago. in the time span. No, not at all. I mean, you're, you're looking at all of human history and the, the experiment is pulling kids out of, out of work, right? The, the experiment is, is, well, Kids shouldn't have to work, and we're going to put them in compulsory schooling, and we're going to force them to learn how to obey, and we're going to base that off of whatever grade you get. Well, not even pulling them out of work, but training them to work in a way that we want them to work. Because school is only setting you up to work later in life. Right. In fact, the industrial schooling model, which is what, which is what we still have today, is an experiment. Kids used to, used to play. They used to spend time at home and they used to spend time with, with parents and family members, learning the trade, learning whatever it was that, that the family was involved in, the business. 
and that's how they that's how they became educated. As industrialization rolled around, they said, "Look, we need uh, a bunch of useful idiots, and so we need kids to be able to do menial tasks repeatedly for eight hours a day, to move when we tell them to move, and to sit when we tell them to sit." And that's the experiment of the American education system. Compulsory schooling is that shift away from passion-driven learning, from from students going, "Well, this is what I want to learn about," because while we say, "Well, we want them to be," you know basically functional, well, we don't teach them any basic knowledge. We teach them how to obey. We teach them how to, to follow rules and follow orders. So many students that come out of the public education system today lack any kind of critical thinking skills. They know how to, how to repeat. They know how to regurgitate. They know how to say, okay, you told me to do it and I did it. And so I got, I got the good grade. I did good, right? But there's no passion for learning there. I mean, you, for example, right? You didn't learn how to do all of this because somebody told you you had to. You did it because you wanted to. And that's where you find most fulfillment in life. It isn't from, from whatever the job is. It's being driven by your passions, your desires to go, well, now I feel fulfilled. Now I feel competent. Now I feel powerful. That's really what kids need is to, is to feel powerful through competence, not through competency tests that tell them, well, you obeyed right. Good job. Another point, um, summertime, summer vacation. That was uh, originally for uh, children to come back home and work on the farm. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise, I mean, it sounds kind of foreign, like why don't we have year-round school? Why do we all, we all get summer off? Uh, historically, that was for uh, children to come back home and help the family with the farm. Mm-hmm. Correct. Well, it checks out. I mean, that would, we're in this weird period where your child is arguably the least around you as the parent that they have ever been Mm -hmm. in human history where you kind of are subjecting them to this outside influence not and people hear that and it instantly goes to this weird place of grooming or you have these people these bad actors some of them are great some teachers are killer some people that Mm -hmm. you can leave your kids with or i've I've had some great teachers yeah great people some people are a little dicey Mm -hmm. and you don't really have this say in that in the same way that you would have in the past of I'm going to leave my kid with this person. Right. You go to school, it's you get whatever teacher you get and that's who's going to be educating your child. And and a lot of that comes down to the the enforcement, the inaction of having to have two incomes in the home. Having both mom and dad working, right? Having both parents working means that there's little time to spend with the kids. So it ends up having to be quality time over quantity of time, right? Like we used to have and so often we're going to work so that we can pay for, for childcare, so that we're, we're going to work and working longer hours so that we can pay for these things that the school says that they, that they need. Whereas if we took the time, had the ability to economically, right? Because prosperity is the best way to lift people out of poverty is if people were more prosperous, you'd have more, you know, two parent households where a parent is able to spend time with the kid and actually give them the the attention and the care that they need to be able to develop into a well-rounded adult as opposed to now where you know we've got we've got adults that we you know people that we consider adults that still don't know who they are and what they what they want in life and they're they're aimless we can we can address that by having people be more prosperous it means you can spend more time together instead of well we're always at work we're always busy and there's just no time sorry not to get too conspiratorial here, but I've heard the idea that 
the whole destruction of the nuclear family and this idea that women are not empowered if they choose to stay home and be stay-at-home moms and mm-hmm. be with the kids, that all of that is somehow to feed further into this system, that there's more taxable income now because you have both parents working. You also get to separate the child from the parents. You mm-hmm. get this, you get to feed them into this system that just carries them from kindergarten through to college into a job. It, it ingrains this idea of dependence on the government, right? That, that we will take care of you. Uh, we saw the same routine intentional because I'm not going to say that what we're experiencing now is necessarily intentional or unintentional. It could be ineptitude. It could be malice. But we've seen this same thing happen in Soviet Russia, where they said, look, the women are going to go to work and we'll take care of the kids. And it got to the point where it was enforced to the level that if women wanted to stay home, they couldn't take home their kids. The, the government, the school would keep their kids until it was their time to give them back. Because everyone is equal and everyone receives the same treatment and no one gets to go home early. But if you couldn't work, you still couldn't have your kid because they had to be there at school. They had to be learning to, to work at the factories. Not passion-driven learning, not, not unschooling, not, well, what do you want to learn about? It's, we're going to tell you what we need you to know because that's what's useful for us. And that's what you get when people try and consolidate all that authority and when they go, look, we're smarter than you, and so we're going to tell you what you need to know. But that assumes that, that they understand your desires, your interests, what makes you unique. Libertarians are completely opposed to that authoritarian idea that some far-off body knows better to govern you than you. Well, it, I mean, even saying that, it feels conspiratorial, right? This idea yeah. that there's some, the government, the idea of that. The government is doing these things. The government is, it wants power over you. It was, it was, it was initiated intentionally. Like I, I, when I said the industrial schooling model, that's not some catchphrase. That's the phrase that they used when they first introduced compulsory schooling, the department of education before it was the department of education. They called it industrial schooling model. Well, who did that? Wasn't it Rockefeller or somebody that built Mm -hmm. up that system? You need useful workers. And so we've got to start at a young age as possible. And, and start to teach them how the factory works. You're going to go from this room and you're going to do this menial task. And then you're going to go to this room when the bell rings and do this next menial task. And we're going to repeat this process over and over. And then at the end, you're going to be able to transition right into the factory and it's going to feel normal. You'll take your lunch break when you're supposed to take it and you'll stand up when you're supposed to stand up and you're going to sit down when you're supposed to sit down. At the end of the day, you're going to say, thank you. So it you, you say it's a conspiracy, but if you had said that back in the day, they would have they wouldn't have called it a conspiracy. You right? know that Venn diagram? It has like a uh, 1984 and like all the different books, and it says uh, you are here. Um, here. Yeah, that's yeah, why we're here. Right? <laughs> Whether they did it intentionally, right, or unintentionally, we know that the system was put in place intentionally, and we can see the results. And we've seen the results for so long now, and it hasn't changed. That it means that this is what it was intended to do. So there's there's no real conspiracy about it it's they know the result they keep doing it this way and so we can't say oh well we don't we don't really know if they meant to do it that we all see the results it's common knowledge you look around it at what's being produced out of the public education system and you go yikes what what is what is being sacrificed the the human capital that is being lost in people that have no passion for life no passion for learning and are completely uh 
foundationless when it comes to learning, life, hobbies, interests. It's just, it's all gone. Most people just go, well, I just want to, I want to stream now. I want to be a content creator. It's like there's some qualified and talented people, right, that take the passion up and they go, hey, we're going to do this. And, and we see the results of it. But this, all of this is, is because you wanted to do it. Nobody told you you had to. Nobody said you must do this. I mean, unless you're getting paid. Are you? No, are you, no, okay. this is all passion project at right. this point. And so you can see the, the results of that yourself. You have much more satisfaction out of this than any job that you've probably done previously. Where you go, I feel like this is, this is worthwhile. Well, if you had to come with an argument to that, the idea would be why is there this inclination to go, quote unquote, woke? through the school system why how would that make people better workers why would why would that be something that is tangible across every university when you have these kids go in and then they get hyper polarized to this one ideological i personally feel like it's a grift i I feel like in what way in in that they're trying to accommodate to a community and trying to gain support uh but they don't actually believe it this is just another authoritarian tactic of going look for, for this time, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to espouse this idea because this is who we feel is, is the most passionate about this. And so we're going to garner them as supporters. I don't think being woke is a, is a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but the way they use it is, is a bad thing. Um, it's been weaponized. A good uh, example would be Pride Month. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, Raytheon on their Facebook, whatever, you know, rainbow flag. You know, Lockheed Martin. Every company. Yeah. Right. So these are uh, horrible companies, corporations. That, that have killed that, millions. Of, how oh, many, yeah. how many dead bodies are attributed to those two alone? Exactly. And, and they've got their I, little I would, I would, I would love to. Yeah. I would love to give the numbers on that, but I don't have those ones. The numbers I do have is uh, the numbers for uh, what's called democide, is governments killing their own people. Authorized killing of their own people is 230 million. Uh, in the 20th century alone, which is more than all homicides anywhere across the world. 230 million people have been killed by their governments, authorized. And companies like Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, those are all contractors that get paid tons of money to make sure that that number only goes up. So would you guys say that libertarians have a healthy skepticism of the government? How would you quantify that? Some have a healthy skepticism of the government. I mean, some have an unhealthy skepticism. And those are the ones that you, that you most often hear about on the news that are, you know, running around ranting about, you know, all the, all the deep conspiracies, right? That hollow earth and all the rest of it and reptilians, those, those people have completely yeah, lost the plot, people. right? That, that they have lost the plot because liberty is really local. And if you find yourself as a libertarian off in space, right? Talking about Jewish space lasers, like you've, you've lost the plot, right? Liberty is, is about local freedom. It's about people building voluntary communities locally and, and negating uh, this overarching hierarchy of control and going, look, how, how local can we make this? How, how much peace can we have here? As opposed to, well, gee, would you hear about what happened on Alex Jones last night? I don't care. Like, what conversation they're having has no impact on, on the relationships I have with the people that I actually know and interface with on a daily basis. Like, these are good people. I don't care what, what they said on Rogan. I don't care what they said on Pool. Like, this is, these are good people. 
Just look at how much uh, damage QAnon did to the Republican Party. Right. An insane amount. I mean, it's still kind of hanging on there. Just that bad branding from it. Correct. Correct. The problem with those, some of those crazy people is sometimes they turn out to be true. Sometimes that crazy conspiracy theory that everybody writes off, it, it unfolds and it's, it turns out to be a reality. And then it's, how do you... How do you deal with that? I have a few of my own too. Yeah. But, but I don't um <laughs> I don't make that the basis for the party because that's more of a, a personal philosophical stance. Mm-hmm. Um I think the goal of the party is to allow you to have that stance, yeah. even if it isn't right or uh, I mean popular. Yeah. So many things that uh people called conspiracy theories, the Libertarian Party was was touting, like going into the the lockdowns, right? And COVID just as it's emerging, right? People go, hey. This is coming down the pike. Everybody goes, ah, you, no, conspiracy theorist. It ended up being a spoiler warning, right? It is like all these things are coming. All of these things happened. Oh, the printing of money, you know, led to rampant inflation. And now everybody's having a hard time affording the same thing that they were able to afford last year. Conspiracy theories uh, have some basis of truth. If you just ignore all of them and just go, yeah, none of them are, none of them are true. I mean, that's a more extreme position than going, well, there's, there's some conspiring organizations out there who are going, well, we want to benefit no matter what it costs everybody else. I mean, that's really what a conspiracy theory is. What is a conspiracy? It's two or three people meeting up and going, hey, we're going to talk together and figure out what's going to benefit us at the cost of everyone else. Conspiracies happen all the time. They're board meetings, right? Yeah. Every, every corporation that, that has some type of meeting with another company or another entity I would call that a conspiracy, right? It's whether it gets publicly released, there's non-disclosure agreements, there's all sorts of things that happen all the time. But conspiracy theory is, it often gets a bad rap from people where they go, oh, well, now we can just dismiss whatever you say. You're just a conspiracy theorist. You're crazy. Yeah. Like, no, is is it possible that these people are just very well informed when it comes to politics, economy, society? Is it possible there's people that see things moving on a day-to-day basis that because you're so busy with your job trying to pay for your child care for the after school care for your kid that there's people that might actually have time to go, Hey, uh, this, this doesn't seem right. I don't like what's happening here. Right. People saw the drone strikes that were happening under the Obama administration going, we're killing 90% civilians and people are going, nah, that's, that's ridiculous. And then when it came up, they're like, Oh yeah, it's, it's true. The next thing was, is, well, yeah, but they're over there. It's those people. They don't matter. And it's so dismissive of the loss of human life, all under the idea of, well, I want to keep my reality safe. I want this idea that I am the, the most intelligent person, that I've said that the Democrats or the Republicans are the ones that, that know better than me, and so I'm going to defer to their judgment. Not, not some guy on the internet, not some guy with a podcast who's talking to everyday people. Those are all just conspiracy theories. There's some people that are very well involved, very well informed about things. That if people just paid a little bit more attention, they'd realize that there's a there's a lot going on that that they're just completely unaware of. So when when Jeff says, I don't like that they, you know, use the term woke as like a as a bludgeon, right? Because it's not bad to be aware of what's going on around you. In fact, it's good. It's how you lean more into libertarianism, is being more aware of your surroundings and who you interface with and being more cognizant of your relationships with other people. And going, you know what? I care about this. So I'm going to take the time and effort to foster it so that we can cooperate voluntarily. Yeah, Woke has that, that branding of conspiracy theory now where people just mm-hmm. hear it and roll their eyes. Right. Nobody wants to look at it. 
I you said something interesting, this this idea of people shifting the goalpost in some regards when they're presented that new information, mm-hmm. right? That challenges what they previously believed. That was one of the scariest things for me coming out of COVID was just mm-hmm. people's ability to say in the face of changing information, oh, well, yeah, it changes and that's okay. And we can just ignore our stance position before that change mm-hmm. happened. And then it changes again. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, well, now we, now we know. So let's right. just, we're changing to this. We uh we were actually talking about this a little bit earlier about uh the people that we know, friends and associates from from the extremes that were saying things during the lockdowns and through all the 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 COVID regime that they were saying things on both the extreme left and extreme right that were just completely unhinged. Where you're like, what are you what are you talking about? I was guilty of some of it myself. It was a really scary time for all of us. You know? say, what, what did you say in particular? What was coming? oh um, well, uh, it never like anything should be forced upon anybody. But like, I felt like masks were a good suggestion. You know, I felt like uh, they do help protect people. You know, that's uh, why a surgeon would wear you know a mask or something like that. But um, people took it the wrong way. They they're trying to defend themselves, but wearing this mask is going to do nothing for you personally. For yourself, you might be helping somebody else from getting say it, say it, don't spray it, you know. Um, so that would be one example of yeah. where I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, we were talking about a mutual friend of ours who was going so far to the to the radical right of things of you know not just deep conspiracies, but talking about um, you know breaching that non aggression principle and and forcing things where it's like, well, I'm going to go up and I'm going to tear masks right off these people, and you're like, well, now hold on, like. It's up to them to decide whether they want to wear it or not. Like, it's not up to you to rip it off somebody's face. And then turning around to to friends that are on the more left extreme position, going, "Well, I think we need to, you know, have two separate uh, two separate groups. We need to have uh, vaccinated shopping hours and unvaccinated shopping hours." And you go, "Well, what are you talking about here? Like, we're you're talking about segregating people based on something that if you don't even know if it works or not." And now the information changes and you go, well, it, it, it's kind of effective. Well, no, it's, it's, it's nice, but it's not that effective too. Yeah, no, it, you're, you're, you were fine without it, right? And because, like you said, the information changed, people have tried to walk back from those extreme positions of being like, well, we need to segregate and lock people up and we need to go around and, you know, force people to, to take it or, you know, rip masks off of people. It's hard for the people on the extremes to cross over those event horizons because they've gone too far. It's it's really hard to ask for amnesty and forgiveness when they were saying such extreme things that you go, I know it was a scary time. I know you were afraid, but there were plenty of people in the middle going, listen, if you don't want to go outside, don't go outside. And if you want to, go ahead. And if you want to walk alone and wear a mask, go for it. But don't harass people that are walking alone wearing masks and don't harass people who are walking in, you know, a couple that's walking along the along the beach holding hands, not wearing masks. Don't harass them either, right? Let people just freely associate. It's not like it's it's actually that dangerous, right? Once we saw started seeing all the numbers come out for things, you go, oh, okay. We can kind of all take a deep breath, right? And go, let's let's be a little bit more reasonable about this. But there were so many people that were on such extremes wanting to just be contrarian and go, well, at the beginning, Republicans were all for masks. Because Donald Trump was like, yep, got to wear a mask, got to wear a mask, got to get the shot. And then as soon as the left said, oh, yeah, we're going to do it, too, 
they became staunchly contrarian, turned around and said, nope, absolutely not. You can't muzzle me. You're not going to put that stuff in me. And it was their Lord and Savior, Donald Trump, that had touted all the time. Well, we, we fast-tracked this vaccine, you know, Operation Warp Speed. We did this. This was mine. And, and now, because we're just doing, again, that tribalism of, well, you're doing this, so we're going to be opposed to it. It's really hard to try to come to the middle when you're just being a contrarian. Because what's the opposite of, of coming to the middle? It's complete division all the way again. How easy would it have been to allow the businesses to decide if uh, you had to wear a mask or not? And those businesses would receive uh, the correct patronage. I don't want to say correct, but the, the, the patronage that wants to wear a mask or not wear a mask. Yeah, if people well, wanna... Should that even be left up to the businesses or should that be a personal choice? Should be a personal choice, right? If, if a business wants to, you know, invite as many people as it wants, it wants to cast a wide net, then it can go, it's up to you. We're not going to tell you to or not do anything. Money's green. We want to stay in business. We want to serve you, right? You need our products. We want you to have our products. We don't want anybody to feel like they're being oppressed or put in danger. You take the precautions you need to. My father, um, he's got valley fever in his lungs and he struggles with uh, his oxygen levels. And so he couldn't wear a mask. Um, and he ended up wearing a face shield most of the time. And he would receive so much hate from people because he's not wearing a mask when he's wearing this face shield. And he's going, look, I, I've got lung issues. It's hard for me to breathe. I've got to carry on oxygen with me. And, and here you are thinking that, that I'm putting you at risk. I'm the one who's most at risk here. If I get a respiratory disease, this might be it for me. So let me please manage my own risk. You don't need to manage it for me. It's my responsibility. So that's, that's what I think it really comes down to is the, the individual, again, the libertarian approach of you are most competent and most unique to decide what's right for you, not somebody else. Well, the scary thing is I think we've moved farther away from that idea post-COVID is mm -hmm. people got so worked up and were so radicalized and so freaked out by everything that was happening. Mm -hmm. Rightly so, because they were being gaslit from every corner. Mm -hmm. But we have now, we have shifted so far from the idea that people can manage their own lives that I don't know if we can incrementally move that back. It almost seems like we're going down this path now. And where does it lead? We don't know. Maybe it's vaccine passports. Maybe it's this centralized digital currency. We don't, we're not really sure yet, but it feels like we're shifting. Maybe that's the conspiracy in itself. Maybe that was maybe, a, maybe that was the false flag. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what people say. I mean, if you want to start yeah. going down the QAnon route, it's yep. that COVID was this opportunity and they wanted to shift people mm -hmm. in this direction and they got close, but they didn't do what they wanted mm -hmm. to do. Well, I, li I like the word that you use there, opportunity, right? Yeah. It was almost an irresistible opportunity, you could say, right? Where it was, here is this thing that is this this danger, it's something that we can exploit. I mean, they senators and representatives say all the time, never let a good crisis go to waste, right? All of their legislation is based off of some type of crisis, some type of emotional plea where they go, oh, well, you know, we just had a, we just had a mass shooting, so we need to enact more legislation on guns. Or, you know, we just had an environmental disaster. We need the EPA to, to take a larger role. And really, all this stuff is crafted well ahead of time. I was talking with a, a U.S. representative a couple of months ago, and the discussion was around the crafting of legislation. And it was the honest admission that most people aren't even crafting their own legislation. It's lobbyists are crafting it and they're submitting it to the 
to the speaker's office and then the speaker's office that assigns it to whoever needs it for their district. And go, oh yeah, yep, you need this, you need that. This is going to look good for you. You're up for re-election. This is an easy win, easy slam dunk. And you're going to be able to go on the campaign trail and say, hey, we passed this initiative. We did this. We did that. When really, when they say, honestly, well, I don't know what's in it. We're going to have to pass it to find out. They really don't. They, they aren't crafting these pieces of legislation themselves for their districts. Wealthy interests are crafting these for them and going, here, put your name on it. Sign here. Put your name on it. Put it in the pile. And keep things moving. Because big corporations and big government love working together. I mean, when you, when you want to talk about a conspiracy, that's, that's where the root of most uh, overreaching governance has taken place, is when companies have said, hey, there's an opportunity here. There's a lot of money that could be made. If you just do this, if you just violate these rights, then, then we can make a ton of money. So it's, it's not so much this far-off conspiracy. I mean, um, we can even bring it back home to something as simple as uh, minimum wage laws. When, when we start to talk about uh, raising the minimum wage to $25 an hour, are our local shops here in Humboldt that only have 10, 15 employees, are they able to bear that cost? Mm, probably not. Target and Walmart, are they going to be able to absorb that? Absolutely. In the short term, they will be able to eat a, a $25 an hour minimum wage and then be able to turn around and hike up their products once they've scooped up the rest of that, that market. We go, the rest of these small businesses shut down. Now we can take over. Gee, that sounds a lot like inflation. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, not even that. That sounds a lot like the pandemic <coughs> when we're shutting down these mom and pop businesses. And then, well, the big guys get to stay open. Correct. Yeah. So it's, it's not necessarily a, I mean, we call it a conspiracy, but it just means that there's two or three people getting together and going, hey, what can we do to benefit from this at the cost of everyone else? The question is, how much of this is actually very intelligent people that are planning all of this out versus just dumb people that are opportunistic or walking down this path. And then, like you said, that you don't want to waste a good crisis. So we're going to shift and go to, cause it's going to be better for us. I, so, I think, I think they're very smart. Um, I think sometimes they're brazen about it, uh, which, which catches people off guard. That's usually when they get the most pushback is when they move too fast and, uh, and it catches people and they go, Whoa, wait a minute. That's not right. And, and that's when they get that pushback and they go, oh, I guess we can't go that far that fast right here just yet. Let's, let's move somewhere else. Let's do something else until people kind of forget about this and then we'll start doing it again and we'll just do it in the background next time. Um, you, you see this very often with things that they think are, are a great idea and then people push back on it and they go, that, that's a terrible idea. You know, we've seen it happen with, uh, with the gig economy, right? Well, they'll present a, a ballot initiative. And they'll go, mm, yeah, no, we're not on board with that. Or sometimes the people will go, yeah, we absolutely want this. And they buy into all the, the campaign uh, funding that these companies have spent to really promote these ideas where they go, yeah, we're really going to win big off this one. Local companies, small businesses, you're gone at the cost of us sweeping up more of that market. So it's, it, it, it happens more often than we'd like to admit. Well, a prime example of that is, what is his name, Beto? Or work. Mm -hmm. How many times did that guy flip flop on guns right. just yeah. to appease anybody that would vote for him? I mean, just completely brazen. We're gonna take your guns. No, well, I never said that. We're not gonna take right. your guns. Oh, we're back to taking your right. guns because maybe my base is gonna come out for me. That well, that just sums up. I mean, he is a prime example because he 
just didn't care and would just say whatever. But well, I mean, that's that's how, the that's the mo for for politicians. Right? Oh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. you you get somebody who's able to to first campaign run right to first get an office. You have to capture a good forty percent of the population to go. Hey, I just need forty percent to agree with me because that's enough to get me an office. And once you're there, it doesn't matter. You're you don't need to worry about the forty percent. You just need to worry about who's voting who's actually going to make it out to the polls. And so you start playing all these different sides and hoping that people latch onto that one thing where if he says, hell yeah, we're going to take your guns. Hell yeah. We're going to take your AR 15s. Well, those people that are really passionate about that are going to go out and vote and they're not going to listen to anything else. And when he goes down the campaign trail and he goes, listen, we're not going to do that. Right. We're going to talk about common sense restrictions, but we're not coming for your AR 15s. Those people go, Okay, he seems reasonable. And they end up going to the polls as well off that idea that that he was being honest with them. They're all lying just so that they can keep their power. That's that's their only concern. Once they're in office is to stay in office. If it was actually to do good, then they would speak morally, irrespective, the same way to everyone and go, hey, this is what we're going to do. No matter how upset another group got, they would go, no, I think this is the right thing to do. And maybe they'll change a little bit on it. But to change so drastically from one to the other, I mean, we heard it with uh, Hillary Clinton when she was on the campaign trail, changing her accent, depending on the depending on the group that she was talking to. Right. Uh, Every politician does this. Pander, pander. Yeah. Well, it's the name of the game. Right. Who can I appease? What dream can I sell? Who's going to vote for me? Mm -hmm. And then you just do whatever to check those boxes. Correct. If you guys were going to steel man the opposition mm-hmm. from the other parties against you guys, what mm-hmm. would that look like? Why, what, what is the opposition against the Libertarian Party? Oh, well, 2020, it probably would have been the uh, MAGA crowd. Because mm-hmm. a lot of them feel that uh, we took votes away from Trump. Um, well, you guys catch flack from both sides for that, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing with uh, that is uh, if you vote a third party in a state that's already a Republican or Democrat held state, it doesn't really matter. You're California. Yeah. I mean, so uh, for people to attack uh, third party voters like, oh, well, you gave that to Trump or you gave that to Biden or whatever. Um, if you're already in a state that uh, is pro mostly Trump or mostly Biden, you're you should vote third party. So that way you can. Um, help grow the third party. Mm-hmm. And I feel that the same way about Green Party. Or, right. Um, it, it, send, it sends a message, right, that, that people are dissatisfied, that there is a growing number of people that are dissatisfied with the, the options that they're being presented from both the Democrat and Republican Party. And, and it's kind of interesting. In the past few weeks, I've had a couple of Republican friends that I've been talking to, and they have admitted that they will switch their, their party affiliation come time for elections. Because they know California is going to be Democrat, but they'll switch the Democrat so that they can vote for RFK Jr. instead of Biden in an effort to say, look, if it's going to be somebody, I'd rather RFK over Biden. I'd rather the, the decision be between Trump. I know that if I stay Republican and I vote Trump, I'm not going to get we're not, we're not going to get the votes for California for the Electoral College, but we could get RFK. And if and if we don't get Trump, then at least there's there's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Right? Which would be a good thing. It would be a much better alternative than Biden. <laughs> it it, it would opinion. be a better alternative than Biden. I would much rather prefer somebody of of good, strong principles besides, you know, Biden or Trump, because both tend to be speaking to different crowds 
Uh, Trump is really going the the populist route with people, and and that actually they have a lot more in common with uh, the Bernie Sanders supporters than they do with with Joe Biden because he is very old establishment, right? Democrat, long time corruption, and not very populist minded. He can call himself, or he can say that other people call him middle class Joe, you know, but that's not that's not a term anybody's really familiar with. We all know his track record. We all know who he is. We've seen what he's been doing. And the, that was one of the big things that, that happened for 2016 is when Bernie got snubbed. Well, they actually had a bunch of people shift over to vote for Donald Trump. Cause like, well, at least I agree with him on like 30 to 40% of things. It's not a hundred percent, but at least it's 40%. It's a lot better than I'm going to get with, with Biden. I only associate with Biden by, by party affiliation. I have no interest in what he's, what he's going for. And so as things come up to election year, libertarians, we, we encourage people to vote according to principle, not to party. So if there is somebody locally who is, who has actually got strong principles for liberty, we encourage you to, to, to vote for them. I don't want you to just vote libertarian just because. I want you to vote for the, for the person who's actually a good reflection of your values. Do I appreciate that you, that you register libertarian, that you become a dues paying member, that you get active in the community and in, in promoting ideas of liberty? Yeah, because as people are more free, people are more happy because they're able to govern their lives more and they're, they feel more empowered instead of sending that power off to somebody else. They go, well, it's, it's on me. I'm more responsible. I'm capable. And so I'd much rather people register libertarian and yes, vote libertarian if they have no other, you know, there's no other viable option. We go, both of these candidates are terrible. At least vote according to principle and go, you know what? This sends a message, if nothing else, to the establishment that, that we're dissatisfied with what's going on. Is that kind of the ethos of the Libertarian Party is to just almost shift people? Not necessarily bring them over to a Libertarian perspective, but just try to hold both parties accountable by showing that, hey, we are here. It may be some of what you guys stand for will just rub off by proxy? Or do you guys actually, will there be a time where a libertarian candidate wins the candidacy for president? Or is that not? If you're not going to enforce it, then you're going to lead by example, is my opinion. Mm -hmm. So if you're not going to tell people what to do, um, that, sorry. Um, uh, continue, sorry. Yeah. So the, the focus is really local at that point, right? A lot of people get caught up in these national races, right, for president. What matters most, what makes the biggest difference in people's lives is local races, right? Liberty legitimately, in reality, is local. It has very little to do with what's happening at a, at a national level. It has more to do with happening on a, on a city and county and a state level. And there's a lot more accountability there. And it means that, that locally here in uh, Humboldt County, we can say, hey, look, uh, we're, we're dissatisfied with what's going on. We don't feel like you're representing us on the Board of Supervisors. And it's much easier for us to not only unseat somebody and replace them with somebody that we feel might do a better job, but it also means that there's more impact because immediately we can start seeing changes implemented. We can immediately see the results because that's where it makes the most impact is locally. We can sit here and we can, we can all take a, a vote and go, you know what? We, uh, we don't like who's currently the president. Well, they don't care that DC doesn't care what our opinion is on that. They already have everything decided how they're, how they're going to do it. We should have the same respect towards them and go, we don't care what you say. 
what DC says has no impact and should have no impact on how things run here in Humboldt County, because we know better for our community how things should be run than DC does. The same could be said for Sacramento. Same could be said for Sacramento, right? Is this decentralized approach of we want things to be brought more locally. These decisions that people are trying to make at federal and state levels need to be pushed down to the counties. They need to be pushed down to the cities. So that way there's not only accountability, like we talked about at the beginning, but it means that we can have more of a direct impact and go, look, let's make good happen today, not push for legislation and maybe in 15 to 20 years, our guy gets into office and signs something in an executive order and now our neighbors are being forced at gunpoint to do what we want to do. That, that takes forever, it takes a ton of time, and it completely betrays any ideas of liberty by forcing people to do it. There's nothing that stops anybody in Humboldt County here today from going out and doing good. You have an unlimited charter to do good, and you can absolutely do that. You can walk out the door right now and do something good, and you don't need permission from anybody to do it. And so that's what we like to, to focus on is, is we can talk about, well, will a libertarian one day get elected to be president? It's entirely possible, but that will mean a fundamental shift in the, in the political landscape for America from I'm going to force you, like you said, people are focused on, well, it doesn't matter who's, who's in charge. My team needs to force everybody else to, to do what I want them to do. As long as we're doing this authoritarian, I will force you to do this because I said so approach, a libertarian president will, will not get elected because it means that fundamentally America has to return to its principles of liberty and realize that these these ideas that are founded in the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights, that everybody is free and that we can, we can govern ourselves, we have to shift back to that and go, look, you're powerful. Not because Trump says you are, not because Biden says you are, because you are powerful and you can make that change. In fact, uh, one of the uh, big names in liber libertarian movement, uh, Spike Cohen, uh, started a group called You Are the Power around this entire idea of helping empower people and organizing to do good in their areas, because that's where the most change can happen is locally. That's where it can have the most impact. And that's where we get the most benefit from it too, is because as we each become more, uh, each become more capable and competent in our liberty, in our freedom, it just builds a, a bigger community because it's all voluntary. It's all cooperative. Do you think that in a world where we are becoming more centralized and where power is being, arguably you could say that there's a tighter grip on power now because of that centralization, do you think your guys' odds of making these incremental changes are getting better or easier? Or? I have a lot of hope for the future. I think people are fed up, fed up with the Fed. Um, I think the uh, more they push, uh, the more people are going to push back. The problem is, though, I mean, we've already touched on it with uh, uh, indoctrination in schools, and uh, people are afraid. Uh, they don't feel like they're powerful enough. They don't feel like they can actually make a difference. Um, um, I think the thing that'll really get everybody, though, is when uh, uh, we can't afford food anymore. You know, that's uh, usually what starts revolutions, at least violent revolutions. Right. We'd like to avoid those. Yeah. Ideally, right? Yeah. That would be best case scenario is we don't go down that route. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, you guys do have the, a good thing going for you is this growing sentiment, I think, among people now where their eyes have been opened a little bit with the shutting down of everything in COVID, with how far 
the government push things Mm -hmm. with the riots, with people just being a little more unhinged now. Right. Mm-hmm. I think people are realizing how unstable the current system is. Mm-hmm. But then there are also people who can, for whatever reason, shut that out of their mind and just say, well, we're going to vote blue no matter who. We're right. going to, Biden's got us or Trump has us, and we're just going to keep going down this line because Big Daddy's going to take care of us and I can just keep going about my day. Because that's what I think a lot of people struggle with is if you're working a job, if you've got a family, if you've got a life, you're focused on doing that and mm-hmm. trying to pay attention to all of these other factors going on is difficult. I mean, nobody mm-hmm. wants to watch the news 24 seven to realize what's going on. You, yeah. Your life would be miserable if yeah. that's all you did. There, there is the seductive nature of, uh, of authoritarianism, right? In that you go, you just, you just make the decision for me. You just tell me who I need to hate. You just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. It's, it's seductive because it means you don't have to be responsible for anything is you just go, nope, I'm not responsible. I'm just doing my job. We spent entire trials at Nuremberg deciding that those weren't the people that we wanted in charge, the people that just do their job. We want people who think morally and objectively and go, you know, there's a bunch of people inside this chamber probably shouldn't do this just because it's my job, right? And so you're right. We see this this unsettling shift for people to go, look, it's really easy to want to just give it all up and let somebody else tell me what to do. The reality is, is that they might have to cross that precipice. They might have to cross into that, that totalitarian area to see how dark and hopeless it is to feel powerless, even though they gave up that power voluntarily to feel how powerless they are to finally go, no, I never want to feel like that again. I don't want to do that. And that's when you get that pushback. And hopefully it's enough of a pushback that people rebound from authoritarianism and go, no, we're going to stay free this time. We're not going to slowly walk ourselves into, we're not going to sleepwalk as a nation into authoritarianism, that we're not going to sleepwalk into fascism, that we're going to wake up and we're going to take responsibility and we're going to walk ourselves back to the liberty side of things and go, you're free to live how you want. So long as you don't hurt me, so long as you don't hurt others, we're fine. Most people can agree that they just want to live peacefully, that they just want to be left alone. I mean, Humboldt is great for that. We, we talk about all the time how people come up here to, to get away from, from everything and that they follow an innate desire of, I just want to provide for myself. And I just want to be left alone. I don't want to hurt anybody else. and I don't want to be harassed. And that's, that's a very Humboldt way of life. And so to have people understand that this innate desire to, to do good and to not hurt others is a core part of the libertarian movement. It's the entire idea of voluntary cooperation. That if you want to associate with me, you can. If you don't want to, that's fine too. I mean, we have a, we have a meetup every third Friday at Six Rivers Brewery at 6 p.m. where we invite people all the time. Hey, show up and have a conversation. If you want to show up and, and have a beer, go for it. I don't drink, right? But we've got plenty of other people that do. And we can have good conversations because it's not necessarily about pushing an ideology. It's about building community. So you have to meet people where they are and have the common ground to be able to go, look, let's just have a conversation. Let's talk. Let's find out where we agree. Just part of where that quiz comes in is it helps people understand. We had a guy just the other day. He traveled up from uh, San Francisco and one of his friends handed him one of these quiz cards because they're like, oh, I'm going to head to this libertarian meeting. You know, I've heard of libertarians. You know, what does it mean to be a libertarian? Well, why don't you take this quiz and then we'll, we'll talk about it? And he goes, 
I'm actually like right on the line between progressive and libertarian. And she goes, well, why don't you show up then? Come to the meeting. You don't have to be a libertarian, but you know, see if, see if you identify with some of this stuff. And he, uh, he's a great guy. He, uh, we had a great conversation. And uh, speaking of San Francisco, we're actually going to have the state convention for the Libertarian Party of California in San Francisco in 2024. So we're trying to we're trying to capitalize off of uh, all the businesses closing down and you know cheap rental spaces to save cost and uh, and rent a hotel down there to have a, a meeting of the minds for all libertarians across the state of California. So yeah, good time to to opportunize op- make an opportunity out of that. Right, right, yeah. right. Uh, garner some support do you guys have a pretty big coalition up here are there a lot of people so there's actually a ton of registered libertarians in humboldt county uh most of them are already living their libertarian dream they've got their their property they live in town they got their solar panels up they're they're living as off-grid as they can and they just go look i'm okay and so there's there's a lot of people that are registered libertarians um that you run into all the time or that you might not even know that are up here um as far as like our social meetups, it, it ranges, you know, sometimes it's, it's four or five of us and sometimes it's 12 of us, you know, it just depends on people's schedule when it comes to those social meetups for the business meetings. Uh, those, those numbers shift, right. Um, cause we're, we're always trying to find more opportunities to, to not only serve in the community, but to get the word out. So like, uh, we just, uh, had a meeting last week. Was it week before last, uh, was about tabling at, uh, the Humboldt County Fair, August 17th to the 27th. So we're going to be there. We're going to be uh, doing Operation Politically Homeless from the Advocates of Self-Government, and we're going to be trying to help people understand where they should go. So if that means that they show up to our booth and they take this quiz and it goes, you are deeply progressive. You go, you might want to talk to the, the Democrat booth over there. You know, well, you're deeply authoritarian. It's like, well, you might want to go talk to the cops. Yeah, right. Yeah, right? <laughs> Why don't you go sign up to be an explorer? Um, you know, oh, I'm deeply conservative. Well, there's the Republican table. But if they find themselves uh, on this this libertarian side of the libertarian authoritarian spectrum, we're a big umbrella. We talk to a lot of people, right? We believe in the rights of all people all the time, no matter what. Because if we can make exceptions and go, well, your rights matter, except not right now, and they don't really matter. It's more of a hobby to say that we believe in people's rights. But we do. We believe in people's rights all the time no matter what. So we, we try to look for those opportunities to help people understand that, that those rights are theirs and that most people agree that they have those rights and they can live in peace. So in Humboldt County, we've got a ton of libertarians. It's just a lot of them tend to like to be alone, isolate. That's why they come up here to the Lost Coast to get lost. Well, and the scary thing about rights is once you give them up, it's, it's pretty challenging to get them back. It's, it's very difficult to, to get it back because there's that seductive nature of authoritarianism where you say, look, I voluntarily give up these rights. Well, now they've got to give them back and they don't give up power easily. They usually don't just give it back. They usually have to be, uh, you know, voted or, you know, guillotined back to the people, right? Like there's, there's no, there's no easy or simple way. Uh, of getting those rights back, getting that power back. It's a painful process, no matter how you look at it, whether that be through through the polls and spending a ton of money and time and waiting for justice or through just taking justice like some groups do. Now, I have to ask, you have a military background. Yes. Do, are you military? No. Background? no okay. oh, yeah. yeah, no. Miss me with Actually, that. I have kind of a funny background. Um, when I came to Humboldt, uh, I got involved with Earth First. 
Um, so uh, I was involved with a couple of different uh, tree sits in the area. Um, so it does seem kind of ironic that I would be uh, with a group that's for property rights. Um, but uh, uh, my uh, take on <laughs> uh, the forests are um, if you make a better product, you're going to grow it better. And they are not growing a very good product right now. If you look at the uh, quality of redwood, uh, it's no longer um, anti or uh, let's just say it's uh, redwood is known for um, not rotting, not being uh, susceptible to insects and stuff like that. Uh, it's not even red anymore. The color, um, uh, it's very porous. Uh, it's just not. Uh, what it's it like used a softwood now. Yeah, it's not, it's not yeah. what it used to be. A lot of that is because they uh, they clear cut. Uh, everything grows at the same time. Shoots up really fast. You get these really fat rings. It's no longer tight like it used to be. Um, and I consider myself like a lumber fanatic. I I, I love seeing old growth wood, you know, like in older homes and stuff like that. You know, um, they just can't grow it the same anymore because they're not respecting the forest like like they should be. Um, if they uh, did more thinning, more select cut. Uh, that would create jobs. They could charge more for a, a better product instead of an inferior product. Um, and that would uh, help the, the forest. It wouldn't be clear cut as much. It wouldn't have as much erosion in the rivers. Uh, I just feel like they could be doing a better job. Um, so uh, it is kind of ironic that I'm a libertarian and an environmentalist. But uh, if you look at the EPA, they don't protect people. They protect corporations. Yep. Uh, pay to play. Um, so... That's why I feel like this party identifies with me more than, say, like a, a Green Party, mm -hmm. which would be a little bit more, it would be a lot more authoritarian mm -hmm. as far as it comes with that. So that's his fight, right? That's his that's his combat experience, right? Yeah. His... Fighting for the trees. That's a good one. Yeah, Quite no, a bit. I've, I've been arrested twice for uh, Richardson Grove. Um, uh, we did a lockdown at Caltrans uh, years ago. If you go by Caltrans, they have a wrought iron fence up. I like to think that's because of us. So that libertarian perspective comes into play there in that if the product were a little bit better, it might incentivize people caring for it more. Yeah. Uh, well, caring for the forest more would create a better product. Uh, and it's, it's true. It also would cut down on fire danger. Um, when they go through and clear cut a forest, whether it's redwood, uh, uh, fir, um, uh, it's going to grow uh, more dense and more fast. If uh, they would uh, thin it out, that would create the jobs of thinning. And then it would uh, grow slower, and then they would have a much better product, a tighter product. Um, it's, yeah. I mean, when I first moved here, you'd see like one log trucks, you'd see two log trucks, you know, three log trucks. Um, they don't really have anything left to log that's of any quality. Um, uh, if the um, if they allowed it to grow instead of on a thirty-five year cut rotation, uh, then you'd have a better uh, product, better quality, better jobs for the workers. Um, and the other major issue is the fire danger. Um, these thickets are, you know, we have horrible fires here in California. A lot of people uh, blame PG&E, and I'm sure they have their hand in it too. Uh, but what creates the fuel? And the fuel are these uh, really young forests that are very thick that are a huge fire danger. If they go through and thin it out, it would create a better product and we'd have less fire danger. Right. And right now we're, we're actually importing a ton of, of woods from outside of the United States, which means that they have to be barged up here, right? That's that's petroleum, that's emissions, that's 
all things that are hurting the environment that could be locally sourced if we were just better stewards of the environment as opposed to going, yeah, we're going to go with these practices that turns our, our great quality redwood into, well, it's just softwood, just pine, cedar, equivalent. Yeah, okay, whatever. Like, it's not, it's not what we want, right? So if the, if the market responded better by demanding that, that things, uh, things had a, a better quality, had what they were looking for, these better features, then, then we could get better results. Unfortunately, there's not, there's not a whole lot of incentive that way. People are focused on the wrong things, I think is what you're, is what you're getting at. It's a quick buck. Yeah. Uh, they just want to... Whatever's cheapest. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're never going to be able to defeat greed, right? But you can use it to your advantage by going, look, if you provide a quality product, then I'll actually pay for it. They still blame environmentalists too. They say, oh, well, we can't cut old growth anymore because, you know, the environmentalists and the spotted owl, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, have you ever been on Google Earth? Have you seen what's left? Uh, 3% of the original forests remain here locally. Yeah. Just 3%. Which is a crazy statistic. Right. 3% is nothing. Yep. It's in the state and national parks. So when you hear a, a right-leaning person, uh, you know, that's for logger, which, you know, I have nothing against loggers. Um, state that they are not allowed to cut things. Well, there's nothing left to cut except for the right. state and national parks. So were you more liberal and then you shifted libertarian? I've always been a libertarian. Uh, I always was at odds with activists. Um, I'd spend hours in meetings talking about uh, dietary issues, like vegetarian, you know, vegan, you know. You yeah, they don't be... want to talk about that. Well, I mean, instead of being focused on the actual issue, which was the, the logging, um, we would get stuck on social issues, uh, such as that. Yeah. Which so. usually happens. I don't think it's crazy that that's yeah. the road that it devolves into. I think that happens to any type of uh, activist group. Yeah. Uh, no matter what. Well, any political yeah. group now, it seems like it can yeah. just shift into, oh, we're fighting over these things that aren't really right. tangible. Right. Everybody just sort of, you know, fractures out into, you know, a thousand tiny pieces of, of identity subgroups. And you're like, look, aren't we all on the same side on this? Like, what's what's really important here? You remember the, uh, or I don't know if you've seen The Life of Brian, uh, Monty Python. Uh, oh, very, yeah. Very good movie. Yeah. So when they're arguing about what they should be called, yeah. we're the people's front of Judea. No, we're the Judean people's front. Yeah. <laughs> Splitters. <laughs> Instead of focusing on the, the actual issue. The real being problem. Repressed. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that feels like it represents where we are almost as a society. Is we're just fighting over these things that aren't really going to have the change that we would like them to. Right. Well, because a lot of the time we're talking past each other. And we're trying to argue, like I said, about these, these really, these things that are important to, to individuals, but they feel like it's supposed to be important for everyone. Like, look, not everybody's supposed to provide this for you, right? There's, there's these big initiatives that we can all form a coalition around and, and pull in the same direction for if we just set aside some of these things that, that really are just nuances that we can sort out later, right? There's, there's more important things to, to deal with. We don't need a Caesar to to lead Rome because the enemy is at the gate. We are all each of us capable of being leaders in our own community. We just need to learn to work together and cooperate and put all of our efforts in the same direction. The only reason a a, a Caesar is seductive is because it allows people to go, well, I'm not responsible for it. He's he's telling me what to do. When really everybody's capable of that. They're far more capable of it and especially for knowing what they need for their situation. It's much more uh, much more nuanced and more unique to, to the individual. 
Were you a libertarian when you were in the military? So when I when I graduated high school, I was a Republican. Uh, I registered as a Republican, and then as I became more familiar with uh, the political scene, I realized that I was I was actually liberal uh, in the classical sense. Um, that I was classically liberal, which is what most libertarians find themselves um, is sort of the the baseline of American political philosophy is liberalism, right? Not neoliberalism. Yeah, not not <laughs> leo, neoliberalism, right? Not uh, not what people now are you know terming leftism, right? This idea that that people should be free to to govern themselves, right, and that we shouldn't be imposing on them. That's that's classically liberal. Um, and so then, as I spent time in the military, there's nothing better at creating an anti-government person than becoming a government employee. You see all of the you see all the corruption, you see all the waste, you see all the fraud, you see all the shortcomings firsthand, and you go, "Yikes! Is is this really how we're choosing to do this?" And and it was uh, in 2012 when I started realizing uh, my libertarian journey of being like, okay, like. Who who are these people that are talking so much sense during during the war on terror? Because I've got friends who are uh, who are Muslim, and I've got friends who who are struggling with these things that they they tell people, well, you have to espouse this strong national identity because you know we have to fight them over there so that they don't they don't harm us over here, and you know, we're fighting for our rights and all of these buzzwords and these, these catchphrases that people are throwing around in the military to try and inspire each other to, to keep going and to take out people who are otherwise just peaceful citizens, especially when you're the one, you know, guarding the, uh, guarding the drones when they, uh, when they leave with a weapons package and they come back completely empty and you find out afterwards that, you know, nine out of 10 people that were killed were all civilians and they're, they're giving each other thumbs up and pats on the back. Like, yeah, like we, we improved. It's not, you know, it's not a hundred, it's not 10 out of 10 this time. You're like, what the heck? What is wrong here? Like there, there's a complete disconnect for, for what our objective is, our method is, and our message. Like, what are we doing? Uh, we're not winning hearts and minds by putting two to the chest and one in the head. Like that's not, that's not how you create peace through force. Like the, the people that you're looking for are not these people that are peacefully eating at a cafe and, oh, well, you just decided to sit down the same time as somebody who's connected with terrorism sits down to, to have chai and now the entire thing is on fire. You're all dead. And that's, that's how we, we implement peace is by disrupting people's otherwise stable lives. Come on now. And so that's, that's where I started making this shift away. That's why I ended up leaving active duty is because I feel like one of those roles for government should be national defense, but national defense doesn't look like killing people overseas. Uh, just because they live in a different area, the, the indiscriminate killing of people and just going, well, it's war. War is hell. Well, no, hell, people deserve to be in hell. War is worse than hell because these people didn't choose to, to be a part of it. There's a small group of people that picked a fight with somebody else, and now these innocent lives are being swept up into this. And, and so that's worse than hell. They don't deserve that. What they, what they deserve is everything that they've, they've built their lives around. The, the peace that they've, that they've afforded themselves for us to come in and go, well, we have to do this. We have to save them from themselves. That's, that's not a very liberal approach. It's not a very libertarian approach. It's frankly, not even an American approach. It's a very deeply authoritarian corporate oligarchy approach of, 
well, whatever, you know, we've got to use these bombs that we that we uh, that we bought. They're going to be expiring here pretty soon. So we got to use them because the budget's coming up. We need to buy new ones. So use it or lose it. So let's increase the uh, the drone bombings. I mean, uh, it was it was weekly uh, drone bombings under the Obama administration, and it barely slowed down under the Trump administration. We're conducting conflicts in areas that we have no national interest in, right? The, the war in Yemen has been a big one that people in the Libertarian Party have been talking about, where it's like, what are we, what are we doing? Well, the big one that people just don't talk about. I don't know if it's because they don't know about it or mm -hmm. we just kind of want to turn a blind eye to that. But I mean, Yemen is just complete chaos. Right. And what is our role in that? Our, our role is to um, ensure entangling alliances. You know, it's something that we were discouraged from, uh, from engaging in from the outset of the, the birth of our nation. Hey, don't align yourself with everybody because then you're going to be at war with everybody, right? Focus on, you know, keeping the peace at home. And, and if you need to fight a war, right, to, to defend the nation, then you can do that. 1812, great example of, of a defensive war. But we've been at war for the past 90 years with, with people killing way more people than we ever lost in our own civilian lives when it comes to something like 9-11. And you go, is, is that what it's worth? Like, is this actually justice? Or is this just retribution? Or is it more sinister than that? Are we just using munitions and funding the, the industrial war complex? Like, geez, is this, is this what we've evolved to as, as Americans? Is that, well, those lives don't matter because they're over there? As if somehow their kid playing in the street has any kind of difference from our own kid playing in the street, right? Which is also inherently extremely racist. Right. Um, and, and that's for the left and the right. Correct. Well, that's what scares me about the war in Ukraine right now is how much of that comes into play mm -hmm. where we're just getting rid of munition, just, you know, for what end? We're just, we're sacrificing the lives of a people that we are so detached from. And are we really seeking... A peaceful resolution or is this just a means to an end with our relations with russia with i mean so far we've we've refused peace negotiations at least three times and there's a dozen other nations that have said we are willing to broker a peace between russia and ukraine and the u.s has said not interested uh, and as, yet we just bankroll the whole thing correct i mean the, the same thing though happens um just after 9-11 is uh is we had the, the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, we had, we had officials coming to the U.S. government and saying, hey, we are willing to extradite bin Laden. He doesn't represent us. This was all his idea. We are willing to send him to you. This was in October. And, and they said, we're willing to send him to you. October of 2001? Yeah. And they said, we will, we will extradite him to the United States. And the U.S. State Department said, not interested. And a couple weeks later, they said, okay, listen, how about we, we just extradite him to another country, another NATO, uh, another NATO country, and, and no questions asked, but we, we just want proof that, that he was involved with this. And the response was, not interested. And then they said, look, okay, we don't need proof. Just tell us where you're going to pick him up, and we will drop him off in whatever other country you want so that you can, you can extradite him. The response Is that came, true? Is that that's 100%. real? 100%. 100%. Jesus. If, if you want to know more about, uh, about the war on terror, like what was actually happening with the intelligence apparatus, the State Department, the, the military industrial complex, uh, I suggest a book called Enough Already by Scott Horton. Um, 
and and he actually released this prior to the the disastrous withdrawal um that that we all saw happen in live on shorts everything where where it was a a, a terrible pullout right um and but he but Scott Horton released this book and it details so many things that all all of the libertarians knew was happening at the time because Scott was telling us these things at the time right um You've got, you've got the Mises Institute and a bunch of other organizations that are going, look, here's what's going on economically because of the war on terror. Here's what's going on socially because of the war on terror. Here's all these great thinkers that people were calling conspiracy theorists and going, well, that's, that's not happening. And they're going, no, well, here's all the evidence. Here's the release documents, the state admitting that, hey, we had a plan to invade all these countries. We just needed an opportunity to do it. We're just waiting for something to, to happen so that we could use it as the impetus to go, all right, the, the end goal is this country over here, but we need to, we need to exercise control in this entire area. So let's just, let's just wait for it to wait for something to happen. And so that's what they, that's what they did. And it ended up being, you know, somebody that we had funded years before, right. Who was leader of the, who was active in the Mujahideen fighting against Russia in Afghanistan, right. And we funded and trained the Mujahideen. We're very vocal about it. And then that same group of people that we were funding turned around and conducted a terrorist attack via Saudi Arabia and said, hey, they, they used them as cover to be able to get in and do all of this. And we're going to see the same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know now the, the conspiracy behind uh, Ukraine is uh, whoever we're funding today in our, in our conflicts is who's going to be our enemy in the next 10 to 15 years. Because they're going to turn around, they're going to go, thanks for all the training, thanks for all the, the weapons and munitions, but we feel like you left us high and dry, you abandoned us, and now we have grievance against you, and now we're going to take it out on you. So uh, the, the Azov Battalion in, uh, in Ukraine is probably going to be the, the number one pick for, uh, for who's going to be the, the next uh, terror organization that they go, oh, Look out for these guys. I hear they're into good things. You know, I, I, I heard something that they have a, a problem with the, the, the N word, yeah. but not the N word that you're thinking, yeah. the, the German associated N word, <laughs> right? The, all of the, the iconography yeah. and, and whatnot because of refugees. Yeah. So well, when it was first coming out, there was so much pushback. Oh, there are, there's not a Nazi battalion in, right. in Ukraine. What are you taught? You're a conspiracy theorist cut to them fighting with the Nazi symbol, the patch. Right. And then, oh yeah, well, some of them, but it's just it's just a small fringe group. It's it's this historical thing. Think of it like you know, uh, uh, the South, you know, and a certain flag that they fly. You know, just just think of it like that. You know, it's just a cultural thing, and it's like, uh, okay, but but there are serious conversations to be had around around that as well. Like, I, like, I like going back through my Facebook uh, memories and looking at articles I was posted years ago, and mm-hmm. you know, 2016 um, and before. Uh, nobody talks about how Ukraine was bombing their own Russian-speaking citizens in eastern Ukraine, mm-hmm. and that, that this may be a response from Russia for that. Yeah, there's 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 a a long history that people are just finding themselves engaged in, and most of them just passively. Right, most people have no idea what was going on uh, the war in Iraq. Afghanistan, they have no idea what's going on in Yemen, just like they don't have any idea what's going on in Ukraine right now. 
right? They'll, they'll fly yellow and blue flags and they'll say, oh, we support Ukraine, but they don't actually know what's going on, right? Just like they, they flew the American flag after 9-11 and they're like, yeah, it's a war on terror. You know, we got to go over there and, you know, get those people. And it's like, do you even know what's going on? No, you're just doing the same seductive dance as before of you just tell me who to hate and I'll hate. Oh, you tell me who to support? I'm going to support. Stalin did it. Hitler did it. Mao did it, right? Every, every dictatorship has said, I'll tell you who we're going to hate today. And that's who's going to be the, the target. The problem is, is it's not, it's not unique to, uh, to the United States. It's, it's a part of the human condition, mm. right? Is that desire to be irresponsible and go, you just tell me what to do. You just tell me who I'm allowed to beat on and that, and that I'll be absolved, right? What crusade can I go on that, that I'll, I'll be justified in, in being violent towards these people for? That's, people desire that. And it's, and it's so unfortunate because it betrays the, the real humanity about who they are. It's them just locking down and saying, you know what? I'm going to be ignorant about this and that's okay. I don't need to know. I just need to be allowed to do what, what feels right at the time. And we've, we've seen time and time again that that leads to disastrous results, not only for individuals, but for cultures and countries. Mm -hmm. And yet we continually choose to engage in those same things. Yep. We have a, a history of what happens when you go down this path. Mm -hmm. And at every turn we say, no, this time it's going to be different. Right. We can right. go down here. It's going to be fine. We're yeah. going to make it through. We don't make the same yeah. mistakes. History doesn't repeat. It rhymes. Right. And we can see the same syntax. We can see the same structure and we go. Listen, this is what's coming. And people go, no, no, no. You have you have no idea. It's like, no, we've we've studied this enough. We're aware enough. We're honest with ourselves enough to go. We're not any better. Humanity hasn't really uh, evolved in the past, you know, 150, 200, 300, 3,000 years when it comes to combat and government and warfare. Government is really the the experiment of human history before. Uh, a hierarchy of government, whether it be through uh, the church or just the state, it was it was all agrarian, right? It was this, it was this. Uh, some would call anarchist approach, where it's just voluntary cooperation, where people are coming together and they're living in villages, right? And they're they're sometimes having disputes, right? Sometimes you've got tribalism, but the the number that I gave you earlier of 230 million people killed by their own government, that's 230 million people that the government has said, it's okay to just kill these people. It's okay. And we've, ha we've done it here in the United States. It's happened in, in Russia. It's happened in China. It's happened in, in almost every other major country where there's been some type of power conflict. They've said, we're going to tell you who you can hate. We're going to tell you who you can kill. And it's okay. We're going to say that it's authorized. And that's the, the seductive nature of authoritarianism is that you don't have to be responsible for that death. It's not murder because we said it's okay. When really at the heart of it, we know it's not okay. Yeah. We all know what it is. Yeah. And again, we just choose to let it happen. Right. It's one of the reasons why the libertarian party is opposed to uh, the death penalty by the state, right? The state gets it wrong so often with uh, the legal system on convicting people. And we understand that look, if, if I'm not just allowed to kill somebody based on suspicion that they're doing something, then you shouldn't be able to either, unless it's beyond a shadow of a doubt that you absolutely know. And then at that point, what good is it doing for you to take that person's life? So far after the fact, are you going to restore those lives? Is that really justice? Or is it just retribution? There's no, there's no cosmic balancing of the scales by taking someone else's life to, 
to cancel out their taking of another. You just end up with two dead people and an entire community that's brought down to this base function of just, well, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. There's, there's a better way to, to approach that, to say, look, we can, we can work this out. We can actually work through this and it can be a justice system and not just a legal system because justice all too often isn't found in the, in the walls of the court, right? Just legality. Well, I mean, the courts, I mean, the whole legal system is kind of broken in some regard, especially when it comes to prisons, because it's not about rehabilitating these people. It's about punishment and making that punishment as painful as possible. And then we're going to let you out. And if you slip up again, it's going to be twice as bad. Slip up again and you're going to end up back inside. And it's also another good illustration for us that prohibitions don't work, right? You can prohibit all the substances and weapons you want in prison and in jail. They still, they still get it. They still end up with drugs. They still end up with alcohol. They still end up with weapons. So the idea that we're going to turn around as a society and say we're going to have people be free and think that we can prohibit these things and that there's not going to be some type of harm associated with it. I mean, that's what the, the consequence of the war on drugs has been, is, is the, the loss of human life and the degradation to society of having people go, look, you've got to be afraid for your life because you're using a plant. Or mm-hmm. maybe because you've been prescribed this medicine, you can't have firearms. You can no longer defend yourself, you know, or these people that do offend that let's say they are rehabilitated. We turn around and we go, your rights can't be reinstated to you. You can never own a firearm. That means that you can't defend yourself. It means you can't defend your kids. You can't defend your spouse, right? Because you now no longer have that implement to be able to use because you are prohibited by law. And some people might say, well, you know, that's, that's a consequence because they did such a severe crime. But it's like, that kid didn't do that. And now you're making him less safe. Because you go, well, we, we can't let that person have a firearm because, you know, what if they use it on someone? And that includes nonviolent crimes too, I believe. That, that yeah. includes nonviolent crimes, which is, which is one of the most egregious parts of it. Is you're dealing with a, not only a nonviolent crime, but often a victimless crime. People sitting in jail for things that, like uh, simple possession. It's like, what are we, what are we doing? Ounce of weed. Right. Mm-hmm. Like things have been, things have been legalized. I mean, we're on uh, the route for decrim- decriminalization for other substances. And we've got people sitting in jail who will continue to sit in jail even after something is not only made legal, but sometimes available through a, through a prescription. There you go. Oh, we're still holding people for this? Is that justice? No, it lags behind justice. Right, justice is is delayed by the legal process because what it does is it removes humanity out of the system, and it just says, "Look, here's the machinations, and you just have to follow the system." What we need is we need more humanity in the legal system to bring justice back in. Well, be honest, you guys have a lot of reasonable takes, man. I mean, a lot of what you're saying isn't this outrageous propaganda in some sense. It's just hey, fringe, these, huh? yeah, these are just we're people. You should be able to have your rights. You should be able to look out for yourself. You shouldn't have daddy coming in and taking things away and treating you like a child. You're an adult and mm-hmm. you should be able to be an adult under right. your own right. Yep. Feels like the simpler it is, the easier it is to understand as well. And the easier it is to implement. Well it's kind of crazy yeah. that you guys don't have more support in the sense that it's it's just the Republicans and the Democrats. Those are the big two. Mm-hmm. And then the Green Party, the Libertarians, you guys are kind of just, oh yeah, they're they're around, sure. but they're it's the Republicans and the Democrats. Those are the only mm-hmm. two. Well, largely that has to do with the fact that we're not allowed into a lot of the debates. Mm-hmm. 
We're not even allowed. Which in, is crazy. And a mean, lot of like, go ahead. No, it's just crazy. Yeah. That, so, they, that they don't allow us. They don't allow that conversation, right? The diversity of thought to just say, hey, here's a third option. We often refer to the two-party system as the duopoly because it doesn't really matter which side wins. We all still lose, right? Is, is they're all concerned about coalescing all that power as far as they can away from us and going, look, just give us your rights. And maybe if you behave well enough, we'll give them back to you, right? And, and that's not a free society, right? That's holding people's rights as hostage for, for compliance with the behavior that they want. When really, if they were free, you would see people who manage themselves better. And part of the issue too is uh, we have to get, is it three or 5% of the vote to get uh, federal election funding correct? Uh, and to participate in um, debate. Yep. Um, so that's all we need is you guys come out and vote. Yeah. Uh, and then we can be on stage. 3% there. is, is not a lot. In fact, yeah. 3% is all it took uh, for the United States population in the revolutionary war to, to push Britain off the, off the shores and back across the pond. Right. It only took 3%, 3% of the country to go, Hey, we've had enough. And that's the same thing that the libertarian party needs is they need people who are not necessarily radical in their thought, but that are revolutionary and that they understand that the world doesn't revolve around these partisan talking points that are out here that they go, look, the, the real world is right here. It's who I talk to. It's these relationships that I form and the, the revolutionary aspect of going, we're in control. Not you. We are. I mean, when you get people who are protesting in the streets, they feel, they feel powerless. They feel wronged. But when you listen to their message, they go, well, we want you to do this. And that's authoritarian, right? It's saying, you do it. Not me. You do it. Because they could absolutely be the change that they want to see and completely negate any kind of interference with the government and going, you know, I think we need to take care of our homeless population by actually, you know, having mental health services. Well, there's nothing that says that you can't walk down town right now and have a conversation with somebody who's homeless because having been homeless twice, I can tell you that not everybody's mentally ill. Not everybody's an addict. Are they there? Yes. Sometimes it goes hand in hand at the same time. There's a lot of people that, that are there by circumstance and you can just have a conversation with them and try and help them get back on their feet. Maybe, maybe it was a divorce settlement that they lost the house and now they're they're on the street maybe it was they got caught up in in something with victimless crimes and now their their truck or their rv is gone and so now they're on the streets and they got nowhere to go you have a conversation with these people and we've got enough people in in eureka fortuna arcada mckinleyville that we can we can really as a community solve a lot of these problems or not solve you don't really find solutions you got trade-offs right you always have value judgments, but you can, you can find ways to address these issues more acutely in your communities. If people just took the risk, they took the effort you go, look, if this is important to you, you go out there and you have the conversation. It's one of the things that changed my approach to, to homelessness, uh, having, you know, been homeless in Fresno, having been hum homeless in Humboldt, um, is realizing, look, not everybody is this way. I grew up thinking, well, people are homeless because they're, they're all drug addicts. And then going, oh, okay, maybe they're just mentally ill because we shut down all the mental institutions. And then going, wait, if I was homeless and I'm not any of those things, maybe there's other people out there like that too. And so then I started having conversations with people and now on a regular basis, I mean, I'm trying to help a guy right now, you know, get back on his, get back on his feet. He went through a huge breakup with the, the wife, lost the RV. I helped him find a truck 
and and now he's he's doing better, right? Um, but you can you can always find a, a place to make a difference, and that's where it makes the most impact is locally. I mean, that's where liberty truly is found is in in your local community. Is that freeing ability to go? I'm responsible for me, and now let me help you, and and we can make the entire community change to shift from well, somebody needs to take care of it to I'm taking care of it. You want to help me do this? Sure. Okay. Cool. And we can all help figure out these these issues together. It's not it's not some top down approach, you know, where we're going to riot in the streets and we're going to burn businesses down that aren't even responsible for the or the uh, grievance that we have and then going, well, government, you need to fix this. It's, you know what, if we're actually caring about the community, if we're actually active about it, then we can solve this a lot better, a lot quicker. Because most of the solutions, not solutions, most of the ways that we can address these issues uh, is just about time. It's about care. It's about putting in the effort and going, look, I don't know how to, how to deal with people with mental health issues. But I can definitely go to a class. I can talk with people that that deal with this, and I can, you know, I can arm myself with some tools to to help figure out, you know, is is this person mentally ill, or is this person just depressed? Is this person suffering from substance abuse? You know, where are we? If we just take the time, if we really care, we can we can better prepare ourselves with experience to help address these things in our community, as opposed to going, well, you just have somebody else do it. Let's increase the taxes. So that way we can have somebody else show up with a, with a gun and a social worker to, to deal with the issue because I'm afraid of what might happen. It's a brave thing to, to be libertarian. It's a brave thing to be responsible for yourself because there's a lot of people out there that would rather just go, nope, I don't like what you're doing. And I don't think you should do it. And I think we should force you to stop it. Which is the scariest ethos. The ethos of, I don't like what you're doing, so you need to not do that because yeah. it just, you, the act of you doing it upsets me. So we're going to, we're going to cut that out. Yeah. Yeah. So many Karens on the left and right. Insane. Well, it's just in life. <laughs> well, that's because people are so diverse and you just, mm -hmm. yeah. some people just, if they don't like something, it means they don't want anybody else to like that thing either. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that translates to guns. It translates to a number of issues mm -hmm. where, nope. I don't want that. I don't think you should have that hard line in sand. Right. So I got a question for you. Where'd you get that flashbang on the wall? It's actually, it's a tequila flashbang. Is it? I think, yeah, I think all the tequila's out of it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was, was going to say, I've got me. a couple of those at home. They've been spent, you know, but. You yeah, know. this one's not that, not as cool. I think it's just tequila in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, guys, this, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. I really appreciate you both coming on. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Especially yeah. if you know you take that quiz and you, I'm gonna, you, yeah, you find out a surprising result. We should do a follow up after the quiz. We'll have that to. Would be nice. Something tells me I'm not going to be that surprised. I, you guys have thrown around the term politically homeless, and that's what I've been mm -hmm. using for some time now. M most people right now, especially with the extremes going on, find themselves in this politically homeless arena where you look to your left and you go, I, I kind of, but not really. And you look to your right and you go, Yeah, definitely not, not that, <laughs> right? And then you go. Am I just alone out here? And you realize that like 60, 70% of America, right, isn't bickering over these extremes. They're over here in the middle having the conversation going, oh, you mean we have more in common? Okay. So I, I personally think that's what you're going to find mm -hmm. is that there's, uh, in fact, we've done this before with an entire group. We went to the Lolita Knife and Gun Show 
uh, last year. And we put this quiz up on a big board and we had people put uh, on the board, where do you think you are? And then I had them take the quiz and then take a sticker and put where their score was. And almost everybody ended up more in the middle. I had somebody go full deep red conservative. I'm all the way over here. And she takes the quiz and she's in moderate. Oh, she goes, can I have you talk to my kids? I go, yeah, sure. And she sends over her adult children, right? And she goes, they, we're always fighting about things in politics. And, and I think, I, I, I think that, that they might learn a couple things. And I'm like, I think you might learn a couple things too. So she sends them over. We have a conversation. Same thing with them. Where do you think you are? Well, I'm, I'm here. Far left progressive. Okay. Both of you? Yep, right here. Boom. All right, take the quiz. Let's talk. A couple minutes later. All right, let's put your scores where you think you are. Oh, look at this. You're on the borderline between progressive, moderate, and libertarian. They're only about one square, and you can see how small those squares are on there. They're only about one square off from where their mom is. I go, go let her know where you were. Show her on the card. And you're going to find out that in your home, you guys have been fighting over things that that ultimately you're of no consequence. You're fighting over that little, that little bit when you agree on so much that you could have so much more harmony in your family if you go, you know, we all agree that, that this is important. So how do we address this, right? Oh, yeah, let's, let's figure out solutions together for the things that we actually can come together on a coalition for as opposed to going, let's fight over these little things that, that really aren't going to make that big of a difference. Let's, let's make a difference on the things that actually have the biggest impact. So I think you're going to be surprised. There's, there's whole families that have been, that have been shocked to go, well, I'm, I'm far this and they're far that. And they find out we're actually right here in the middle next to each other. So yeah, I think that's for most people. We're, mm -hmm. we're more alike than we are different. I consider my politics. I consider myself a centrist extremist, though, like extreme center. Yeah. Extreme center. Right. <laughs> well, the, that's the, the other problem is that both sides have just moved so far from the middle that if you're far left and you're looking at somebody in the middle, oh, they're far right, just right. by proxy, and the same vice versa. I mean, I can't remember who said it. You know, they uh, they were talking about, um, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not a right winger. You know, the left left me. You know, is they they just mm -hmm. continued to go that way, and I stayed where I was, and I found myself with this Overton window shift, getting closer and closer, where the conservatives are coming more over to what used to be a, a far left position is now considered conservative yikes like what's happening here it's because the discourse has on social media become so polarized people become contrarian where it's just well whatever you like i hate and whatever you hate i love right and and that has driven so much division needlessly senselessly to the point where communities and families are breaking down yeah absolutely so. and covid was a great way to bring that out and everybody yeah. Yep. yeah it shined a, a spotlight on a lot of dark spots in our societies and how we think and how we process information. Mm -hmm. I think it woke a lot of people up, which is good for you guys' party, I think. I think it'll be it's, interesting. It's good to see for the community is what it is. Yeah. Because the more aware people are of, of their surroundings, the more informed decisions they can make about how they respond and how they interact with others, right? If we all just sort of put our heads down and, you know, put on the blinders and just we go to work and we come home and we won't pay attention to anything else and the only time we pay attention is the homeless is when we almost trip on them on the way to work. And the only time we focus on the needle trash is when we have to pick one out of our flip-flop, right? That, that's not making informed decisions, right? That's you just stumbling into these issues as opposed to taking an active role, widening your perspective and going, okay, I can see there's a lot going on, but where can I help? And in the Libertarian Party, we're a big, we're a big 
uh, umbrella for a lot of ideas. And not everybody is on board with, with everything 100%, right? Taxation is theft is a, is a pretty standard you know, slogan for the Libertarian Party. But there's some people that are focused on decriminalization of psilocybin. They don't, they don't care about firearms. They don't care about property rights. But what they are focused on is decriminalization. And that's their thing. And that's great because that's what they're passionate about. And I'm not going to tell them they shouldn't do that. Because at the end of the day, they're pulling towards liberty, right? They're making, trying to help people be more free. You know, there's people that go, look, I want to focus on gun rights. You go, okay, you, that, that can be your fight. And they go, look, I know I'm taxation is theft, you know, second amendment, hoorah. Uh, but the, the LGBT thing, I, uh, I'm okay with them, but like, I'm not going to go to any pride events, right? And you go, that's fine, right? You don't want them to be shut down. They go, no, and you go, okay, libertarian, cool. Let's keep pulling this direction of liberty right? There's a lot of different uh, ideas. There's a diversity of thought within liberty uh, that tends towards freedom of expression because all rights of all people matter all the time. So we've got, we've got Jeff over here, right? With a, with a, a pride shirt, right? And, and you got me over here blue, no matter who, right? But <laughs> it's not the, it's not the political affiliation. Um, but, but my, I tend towards, you know, property rights, uh, LGBTQ rights, um, decriminalization. I've got my hands on a bunch of things, just trying to be involved with the, with the community up here and trying to make sure that, um, I'm meeting people where they're at because that's where the most, most productive conversations can come about is not by saying, well, you have to come over here and have the conversation I want to have. I'm much more interested in going to where people are and going, let's talk. I'm much more interested in me going to drag shows and going, I'm going to talk to the people that are there. Not necessarily because I'm there to be entertained, but because I want to have the conversation. Because otherwise, there's people that might not have the conversation with me because maybe we don't orbit the same circles. But if I want to bring the community together, I have to go to where they are to have that conversation so that I can help find a way forward for everybody to go, hey, listen, you're concerned about this? Well, so are they, and so are they, and so are they. And you might disagree on all these different things, but you all agree on this. So let's pull in the same direction towards liberty. It's it's absolutely a, a local, uh, a local movement, the libertarian movement. It's not something that people should be focused on uh, federally and nationally, because ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't care who sits in the chair for president. It matters so little to me because I care much more about what's going on in my local community. I don't care what's going on with somebody's laptop. I don't care what's going on with somebody's files. I don't care what's going on with somebody's uh, tape or dossier. I don't care. Because that's all distraction. What's important is who I'm dealing with every day. What's important to me is the people that I have to interact with every day and the people that I want to interact with every day. Donald Trump doesn't know me from Adam and I don't want to know him, right? I can say that I have done better than Donald Trump in my life because this is my second term as uh, chair for the Libertarian Party of Humboldt County. So I've been elected twice, which is better than Donald Trump could ever do. Um, so that's my claim to fame over him, right? Um, I've never been bankrupt. Probably if I get involved more in business, I, I probably will be because, because I'm terrible at it. I'm great at dealing with people, but not great at uh, trying to market products. I'm, I'm a better dealer in ideas and trying to help people sort of um, figure out their issues and problem solve. Maybe that's, maybe that's uh, got to play into entrepreneurship and trying to meet their needs through a product or a service. But um, I, don't, I don't see any connection between between the, the radical right and the radical left to, to libertarianism. I think that they're both completely antithetical to the goals of liberty, which is to just have people at the end of the day 
be more free and feel more powerful. Absolutely. I feel like they're more similar to each other than they would care to admit as well. Yep. As far as the radical right and left. In a lot of ways, right? Yeah. yeah they've they've horseshoed so far in their contrarianism that now it's just, you know, debating on who gets to hold the gun. Right. Yeah. It's not should we holster this? Should we not hold this to each other's head? It's well, no, we're waiting so we can get in power so we can use it against you. And it's like that there's fundamentally no difference now between you. It's just power struggles over over the the sword of of government as opposed to using government what it's supposed to be for which is a shield to protect people to protect the powerless instead of trying to wield the sword of government against your neighbor right and that's that's what they're concerned about they're concerned about you know scoring points on each other and we're over here trying to help people figure out actual approaches forward to not only having people be more free feel more powerful but to to be more emboldened to go look it's not your place i don't want a new initiative i don't want a new ballot measure I just want to be left alone and I want to do things voluntarily, freely. I don't need your help. We've got this. Well, I think you guys are good spokesmen for that. I think it was a fun conversation. Yeah. And I think, I think your, your podcast, you know, shows that utility as well because you're having conversations with all these people throughout the community, having this diversity of thought, right? So even, even if you're not libertarian by the test, right, that, that, you're engaging in the ideas of liberty, of free association, of exchange of ideas, where nobody's forced to come onto your podcast. You don't tell anybody they have to stay. You don't tell anybody what they have to talk about. You literally sit down and go, all right, let's talk. And, and that's what the basis of our entire society should be. It shouldn't be, you have to be here because we tell you you have to be here. It's, you're here because you want to be here. We came because we wanted to have the conversation with you. We were excited for the opportunity to talk with somebody who has talked to so many people in the community. You know, you've, you have talked to a lot of people with a lot of different perspectives. What's something in the past, let's say six months that you've had from the rest of your guests that you feel has been sort of the most eye-opening about the community? I mean, I feel like every conversation opens my eyes in a different way. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about doing this is one second I'm talking to you guys, one second I'm talking to a drag queen, one second I'm talking to a politician. It's the, I wouldn't have this opportunity to just engage with people who come from similar backgrounds, different backgrounds in this medium without doing this. So, I mean, I, you could pick any podcast has sure. changed me in some way or another. Sure. I, I think that, that you might be, you might be, don't take this the wrong way. You might be a little bit mistaken because you could have these conversations. What's funny is, is that what we're doing here is the same thing that everybody is doing or should be doing every day when they're at work, school, wherever. Any of their associations, they should be able to just talk to each other freely. I mean, it's the First Amendment. It's the most important. We should be able to freely exchange ideas and express with each other. I like the utility that this serves because not everybody gets to talk to Right, uh, a former former tree sitter. Right, nobody gets to talk to a a former military veteran that goes, you know, I don't think the government should be doing that. Right, there's there's not always an opportunity because, again, people are scared sometimes. They're scared of what they don't know. They don't want to risk that relationship. They don't want to risk that friendship and go, well, if I say the wrong thing, are they not going to be friends? It's like, if they're really your friends, if they really care about that relationship, yeah. they they can tell you. They should be able to tell you whatever, and. It should, it should strengthen the relationship. There should be nothing a friendship should be, you know, nothing that you should share in a friendship that should put that at risk. If it's actually based on freedom of association. If it's, if it's not, if you say something that offends somebody to the point where they go, 
yeah, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And maybe you need to reevaluate what that, that foundation of that friendship was, right? Was it actually friendship or was it just acquaintanceship or was it for business? Was it for, well, you know, I was just trying to, trying to get a business deal with this guy. So I friended him on Facebook and, and now that, now that that served its purpose, purpose, now that it's run its course, we're done. Right. But most people, if they just take a little bit of risk, open themselves up, they can find out that they've got so much more in common with people instead of being like, so I saw that bumper sticker outside your car. Let me assume all these things about you. And it's like, well, actually, you might find out that there's a, a ton about this person that you, you don't know. Maybe it's a used car and maybe they didn't just take the bumper sticker off yet, right? Maybe it was a, a Bernie sticker, right? And you go, oh, so, so you're probably not very happy about Trump. You're like, what are you talking about? Like, I love, I love Bernie Sanders. And when, they, when he had to bow out, when the, the Democrats forced him to, to bend the knee and he said, yep, I'll do it. I voted for Donald Trump. Oh, there's some nuance here. There's some perspective. Okay, let's talk about this. Most people are scared of that, right? Because it means they're vulnerable. They have to allow themselves that time to go, okay, am I going to get hurt? Are they going to tell me I'm dumb? No, because most of the time, this isn't the internet. Real life, people have these conversations and nobody's like, well, you're just an incel. Like, no, that's, that's not how this works, right? Like, we usually are pretty respectful in our, in our conversations with people. Most people are. Most, most people, people are. Most people are, right? Um, and a lot of the conversations that we've had here today, we'll have with people online, on, on message boards. And some people will become very, very hostile. I'm, I'm friends with a guy who blocked me on Facebook because he does not like uh, this talk of liberty. Um, but, you know, he, he tends authoritarian. And it's very difficult to try and disabuse somebody from this, this seductive authoritarian leaning of going, well, he told me who to hate, so I'm going to hate them. It's like, can, can we just not? Like, hating is so exhausting, and it's not productive. Like, it, it takes just a modicum of effort to care about somebody, and the returns on it are so much more than any amount of hate that you give somebody. Like hate leads to so much heartache and, and depression and loneliness. It's like, actually care, lean into, into that love, lean into that voluntary cooperation with your community to go, Hey, let's, let's take this opportunity to come together. And even just a little bit of your effort will receive returns back that, that you'll never get using, using, you know, hatred and division. You, you can't come together by forcing people to associate. You're not going to have unity. If you want unity, you have to start first with yourself, get yourself right, be at peace, and then start bringing other people into that as well and going, let me help you find what peace actually means. It means being capable and then helping others. That's how you achieve peace. That's how you achieve community. And you don't achieve that through force. No. You can get close to it, but it's, it's brittle. It's, it's not really and peace, it, though. Yeah, it never really pans out. Because as soon really as the peace. opportunity changes, it just implodes. Yep. Correct. Because to be peaceful, you have to be capable of harm and choose not to, right? You have to, you have to be capable of doing violence and go, you know what? I'm going to show restraint. And that's truly being peaceful. Otherwise, you're just, you're just harmless. If you're not capable of doing that, you're just waiting for somebody else. You're calling on some enforcement officer to come and do the violence for you. And you're therefore, as a citizen, not peaceful. You're harmless. And you're calling on somebody else to do violence for you as opposed to going, well, I could just go over there and have the conversation, but it first means that you've got to feel powerful. You have to feel capable. And that starts with, you know, actualizing that starts with figuring out how you can be uh, more engaged in the community, taking that freedom for yourself. 
I feel like calling the police is one of the most dangerous situations you could put in another yes. person because yeah. you're putting their life at risk. If it's for a noise complaint or yep. something that simple, they end up getting shot. Yep. Um, I and just we, would never we, want that on my conscience. Yeah, we just saw it in uh, Arizona not too long ago where a guy was playing Mario Kart. You know, with his with his wife, they're having uh, they're having a Mario Kart match against each other, playing video games. Things were getting loud. Somebody called the cops on their neighbor, and he opens the door, pokes his head out. Neighborhood that he lives in isn't that great, right? He's got a pistol down by his side. He steps out, and the cops see the gun, and they yell gun, and they both draw and gun the guy down. It's a man dead because somebody didn't walk over there, knock on the door, and go, hey, man, can you turn it down? Oh, yeah, sorry. Mario Kart, my bad. We'll turn it down, right? The cops were bladed off. They weren't right in front of the in front of the door so he peeks out not able to see who's knocking on his door right thinking that he might be getting robbed right he might be getting set up for for a break-in but because nobody's taking the risk to just stand in front of the door knock on it and go i'm gonna stand here on principle and go hey man it's late can you guys keep it down a little bit oh yeah sure sorry or maybe he goes yeah screw you you know okay right and then maybe maybe you explore different options because it's one night of sleep Maybe you use some, some earplugs, maybe address it with them later. Maybe you talk to management and go, can you get this guy out of here? They're constantly having parties. Talk to the property owner, right? And see if there's something that you can do about, about working something with them voluntarily, as opposed to calling somebody with a gun who hasn't established a relationship with your neighbor, who doesn't know who they are and go, Hey, you need to do this or else. And in their case, they were, they were bladed off out of sight, out of mind. He's in a bad neighborhood. Guy peeks out, they see a gun, and because of their lack of knowledge, it takes up a fear, has a whole role to play, and they end up shooting him. Now somebody's now somebody's dead because one person didn't take the take the time, the care to walk over and just go, hey man, can you turn it down? So we can we can we can resolve a lot of calls that just bog down law enforcement where it's like, oh well, I heard something. Really? Like, do you need, do you need an armed enforcer to show up to, to handle that? You have a second amendment, right? You have all the time in the world to be able to, to go to the range once a month and just go, Hey, let me go down to ballistic precision. Let me, let me rent a firearm. Let me learn how to use it. Become more comfortable with this. Take that responsibility. And now you're capable. Now, when there's a bump in the night, you walk out there with your flashlight and you go, okay, there's nothing. We're good. I don't need to call anybody. I don't need to say, Hey, I need you to send a unit by. Right. A lot of things can get resolved if the community steps up. If we're going to talk about defunding the police, it means that the people have to invest more in their own personal security and in their own preparation, their own experience. We want people to be more capable. But if you want to decrease the funding in the police, it means that each individual has to step up and go, we're going to be more capable because if we're going to be more free, it means we're going to have to be more responsible for ourselves and not just push it off to, to another agency and say, no, you're in charge. It's okay. You know, like you said, Jeff, you, you call, you call the cops, you're calling them as your agent to, to act on your behalf, right? They're your representative to deal with the, with the situation. So if your neighbor ends up dead, personally, I'd hold you responsible for it. Yeah, Me morally, I go, you, you called them there to, to handle the situation and they shot him. And when it comes back that it was an unjustified shooting, because it was you as the person who called should feel responsible because you're the one who called them. Not, oh, well, you know. He was just act, acting according to policy or he was, you know, on his own or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. Don't make excuses. You're the one who called. 
take some responsibility. But again, that goes back to the the seductive nature of authoritarianism of just being like, nope, you're not responsible. Call somebody else. It's on them. It's okay. Which is why we give officers qualified immunity. So we can tell ourselves we're not responsible. Oh, and they're not responsible. Even though they're the ones that are highly trained and qualified, they're not responsible for a criminal act while on duty. Oops. That's not a way to, to conduct a community or a nation. We, we do need to have these conversations about criminal justice reform, but it doesn't happen from a, a top-down approach. It happens from the community stepping up and going, we don't, we don't need that. We're handling it ourselves. We're good. Well, and God forbid you do have to handle it yourself and you're a citizen and somebody breaks into your home or something happens and you do have to draw your firearm because in this state especially you still might get screwed yeah we don't even in a situation like that right. yeah which, I mean, which goes to from criminal ends. justice reform right is talking about it it's not a justice system it's a legal system right it doesn't nobody in there cares about justice because justice isn't found in the walls of the court justice is found in the moment somebody being able to right the wrong in the moment. Somebody who's able to stop an assault in the moment. That's where justice is. It's not found. Anything in the, in the courtroom is, is just, uh, it's retribution, quite, quite honestly, right? It's just trying to find some type of retribution restitution after the fact. It doesn't take away the hurt. It doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't take away the offense. It's just their way of saying, oh, well, you know, sorry, we weren't there. By the way, you shouldn't arm yourself, and if you do have to defend yourself, we're going to throw you under the bus as well. And it's like, that's, you're disarming the populace, you're telling them they're powerless. At some point, they are going to buck back against this and go, no, we have, we have had enough. Humboldt County has, has a lot of firearms because there are a lot of people that have that self-sufficient mindset, right? Where they go, nope, I'm fine, I'm going to take care of myself. And, and some people don't like that, but the, the reality is, is that the gun crimes are not happening from the people who just want to be left alone, right? They're happen- the, the crime is happening from the people who don't have this libertarian mindset, right? Who don't have this liberal mindset of, well, I just want to live in peace and leave other people alone. It's coming from these people who are deeply, deeply authoritarian and go, I'm going to do whatever I want to you. And that's not libertarian. Libertarians abide by the non-aggression principle. We don't aggress on others. We will defend ourselves, right? We're not, we're not pacifists. We we stay ready. We stay ready to fight. It's our we mascot, stay, the uh, porcupine. The porcupine, right? Is, <laughs> it's is a good what, mascot. Yeah, we, we stay ready to to defend. You know, we we fight uh, internally a lot, right? Uh, we stay ready, but the the fact of the matter is, is that you are your most powerful and impactful advocate, and you're the one who knows best how to defend yourself. It's not up to somebody else. Not up to Sacramento. It's not up to DC to say. You cannot use this implement to defend yourself with. We're going to tell you what you can defend yourself with. That's, that's not how this works because I know what I need to defend. I know what's valuable to me. Maybe I decide I'm only going to use a nine millimeter. Maybe I decide I'm going to use a two, two, three. Maybe I decide I'm going to use 308, right? Maybe I decide I'm going to use a 12 gauge shotgun. That's up to me to decide how I'm going to defend myself, my family, my home, right? Because that's one of the core tenets of, of libertarianism is property ownership. The first thing that you own is yourself, right? And then everything else extends out from there. You trade your time through voluntary transactions for money to be able to exchange through currency to acquire cars and homes and, and various niceties to make your home a little bit more comfortable. Make it what you want. That's all yours. And there's nobody or anything that should be able to take it. In fact, it's one of the most egregious examples of government overreach is property tax is that at the end of the day 
even if you've paid your home off and, and the insurance is paid for, guess what? You still have to pay property tax in perpetuity for the rest of your life. We don't even entertain the idea, uh, or the government doesn't even entertain the idea of uh, a sunset clause for, uh, for elders in the community, right? For people that go, hey, once you hit 65, you don't have to pay property tax anymore. Now, when they sell the home, yeah, then, then there might be property tax again. But we don't even give the option to, to these people who are on fixed incomes to go, you don't have to pay property tax anymore. These people have worked their entire lives to, to build a home and a property to, to live in. And then we go, yeah, you're still going to have to pay the government for that for the rest of your life. Or end up on the street. Or end up on the street, right? And end up homeless. And now we're just feeding more into this issue. We don't offer people the option to, to pay all their property tax in one lump sum. And go, look, I'm going to pay property tax in perpetuity. Done. That's it. Here's the sum. And that's the end of it. Because the idea is that you don't own anything. Is that the government owns it. You're just renting it from them. And your rent to the government for your land is that property tax. Because at the end of the day, we will come. We will take it. No matter what you say, if we want it, it's ours, right? And so we, we need to shift, like I said, as an entire community to thinking about what can we do to, to help each other. And one of the things we can do is to go, look, what are we doing for property tax as a, as a city, as a county? It, can we put in a sunset clause for these people? You hit 65 and you go, you never have to pay property tax on this property again, right? Now the next person that owns it, Maybe property tax comes back into play, right? But we have to, we're never going to get to liberty and the elimination of taxation and just fund things through voluntary cooperation if we can't start walking our way towards liberty. If we just talk about, well, what's the next tax looks like? How much is it going to be? What's the next percentage going to be? Is it going to be a full percent? Is it going to be two and a half percent? We're talking about we're always talking about taking more money from people and we're never talking about, well, how do we end up with letting people have more of the money that they've earned, right? People have worked hard for the money that they, that they have to turn around and go, doesn't matter. We, we deserve a cut of every part of that because without us, you wouldn't have the job, which is absolutely absurd. And then cut to the government just wasting a lot of that money. Oh, yeah. Wasting like, ah, a lot of it's a great system. Or losing right. it. Or losing it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Accounting errors happen all the time, you know? you know? Billions of dollars go missing. What are you, you going to yeah. do? A couple but, zeros? County is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was what, 20 million, 40 million mm -hmm. was uh, just gone between 2016 and 2020 or whatever. Yep. Um, and that's, I mean, people are paying like money for legalization to have their legal farm, stuff like that. Yep. There was just a story where uh, the county decided to um, continue to harass these people for uh, fees and stuff that are accrued by other owners of the property previously, things like that. Yep. Um, I, I really want to know where the money goes in this county. There's yep. a lot missing. You know, the, the, the practice you're referring to is they're using uh, Google Images, right, GIS, to be able to look at people's properties and go, well, it looks like you've got greenhouses there. And there previously was a permitted grow, so we're going to keep finding the new property owner. Oh, I heard about that. Instead mm -hmm. of actually sending somebody out. Again, they just take that little bit of risk, right? If they care enough to go, well, what are we doing here? Instead of levying hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees on a peaceful property owner who is not violating any laws, instead of, you know, oh, well, we're just going to levy you with these fees, walk down, drive down to their place because they, you know, they live in the South County, right? 
drive down to their place and have a look. Oh, well, it's risky. Okay, well, how much is it worth? Is it worth all this, all this money that we've tried to extort these people for? That, that now there might be a, a grounds for a lawsuit for because they've just been indiscriminately assigning fines and fees to people for crimes that are not theirs, that was based on zero evidence. There's, there's an entire aspect, again, of libertarianism that gets into, into that idea of what is the government doing with, with the money? What are they doing with the taxes and the, the fines and the fees locally, right? Um, no accountability. None. That's the moral of the story. When you get to the government, it's just, ah, shit happens. That's, that's what authoritarianism, authoritarianism is. It's lack of accountability, right? It's acting under the guise of this big banner of, well, it's government, so it's okay. And so if you're doing it in the name of government, it's fine. And only in egregious examples or times when we are just tired of you and we want to get you out of the organization, we will throw you to the wolves and we'll, we'll you know, give you jail time or we'll slap you with fees and we'll, we'll slap your hand. But really the, the machinations of government have removed humanity from it to the point where there's, there's nothing resembling uh, decency in it whatsoever. I mean, most people don't care uh, what the law says so long as it's equally applied. Unfortunately, it's not equally applied. And, and so that's where they start generating these grievances is they go, well, hold on. If this is supposed to be equal, if every time we walk in through that door, you get punched in through the face, well, then how come the guy who came in behind me didn't get punched in the face? And eventually enough people go, well, wait a minute, we've noticed this too. We all got punched in the face when we walked in this door, but that guy didn't. So what's so special about him? Oh, he's a cop. Oh, you know, <laughs> Sorry. There's, there's preferential treatment, right? And you go, oh, okay, well, that's not equality under the law. And now we have a bunch of people that can, you know, build this populist grievance and go, look, the mass of the people disagree with this. We don't like this. Let's get rid of the practice. And sometimes there's pushback. Sometimes the government goes, well, it's there. It's there for a good reason. You don't understand it, but it's there for, it's there for your good. You need to be punched in the face so that you get humbled, right? And he doesn't need to get punched in the face because he works for us. Excuse you? What? That's not how this works. That's where people generate most of their grievances, right? Is they, they see these inequities that happen and they go, that's, that's not right. Something needs to be done. The problem is when they turn around and they say, someone else needs to do something about it instead of, I need to do something about it. Instead of walking in and going, this needs to stop. They go, well, we need to pass a, a measure. We need to, we need to have the, the county or the city draft up a letter that says, you know, this is what we're, we're going to have happen. This is what we're going to do. We're going to rewrite the ethics code because, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a grievance. So we're going we're gonna to change this just enough so that we're not in trouble anymore. You know, there's been, a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of hubbub in city council meetings about people being accused of being anarchists and associated with uh, anarchist groups. And it's largely people who are conservative who don't understand what anarchy actually is. If they want to learn about anarchy, they can come to the libertarians. We know what actual anarchy is. Anarchy is, is the, the formation of civil society through voluntary cooperation, not through hierarchy. Right? Not through people saying, well, you're there because you say you're, you're better than me. It's you're the best person for the job. And, and so that's how it's going to be. Right? It's the, the idea that we're going to voluntarily cooperate, and if we don't want to be a part of it, we can withdraw, and, and so be it. Each and every one of our friendships that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis is based in anarchy. 
and that you choose to associate or disassociate with whoever you want. And there's, there is no penalty besides, well, you just don't get to hang out with them anymore. You don't get the benefit of their friendship. You also don't get the, the detriment of, of their behavior, their influence on you. Um, but largely, people who are calling out members of the city, city council as anarchists are, are, I don't want to say misinformed, because there is a definition of anarchy as lawlessness and disorder, but they tend to focus on that, and they don't know enough. They just haven't learned enough about what real anarchy looks like. There's, there's uh, anarcho-communist groups that, that have existed historically. Right, that that have existed in peace, um, you know, uh, the Basque region, right, is is one that's is famous for um, for being a uh, ancom, uh, not organization, establishment, occurrence, right, and and authoritarians saw that as a threat. So I think all too often these conversations people are having today at these meetings, they go, "Oh, you're an anarchist. You're sitting on the city." council and that's that should for anybody who understands anarchy they should understand that those two things don't go together you don't (laughs) seek authority over others to go well i'm an anarchist which means i need to be in this position so that i can tell you what to do that's completely antithetical to anarchy that's that's peak authoritarianism is saying i know best so i'm gonna sit in this seat and tell you what to do true true anarchy if people want to know if people want to know about uh anarchy We've got the anarchist handbook. And in fact, I'm going to offer this to you so that you can just borrow it. You just have this book. Uh, you just carry this around with you? I, yeah, I, I brought it with me. Because I, I, I read it on a regular basis. I read the anarchist handbook by Michael Malice. Uh, I read uh, the white pill also by Michael Malice. Um, another one is uh, libertarian voluntarism is another great book by Jack Lloyd. If people want to learn about uh, liberty and anarchy, and and how this voluntarist mindset uh, can really change communities, it's it's great. So the the Anarchist Handbook by Michael Malice there, it's an aggregation of different uh, great thinkers and writers dealing with anarchy. Um, one of my favorites is uh, Lysander Spooner. Um, he famously said, uh, "Whether the Constitution be one thing or another, it has either authorized the very government we have." or it has been powerless to prevent it. And so for all these people that focus on constitutionality and they go, oh, the Constitution's, you know, this, this great document. Like it's, it was when people actually followed it. But now we've seen that it's either authorized the very government that we have, or it's been powerless to prevent it. And he actually goes further and says, either way, it is unfit to exist. And I don't necessarily go that far to go, well, we need to get rid of the Constitution, right? But but there is, there is quality in the idea. There is wisdom in the idea that we need to be honest with ourselves. Either this document has been enough to, to get us to where we are, and it has intentionally led us to where we are as a people, or it has been completely powerless to prevent this, this backslide into authoritarianism, or we've just been just swiftly walking ourselves through the night, sleepwalking right into a tyranny and authoritarianism right into fascism and just going, yep, let's just, let's just sleepwalk our way in. The constitution has either authorized it or it's been powerless to, to stop it. I think we need to, we need to revisit it and we need to uh, revitalize the, the constitution, the declaration of independence was great, but the, the constitution and the bill of rights uh, need to continue to, to live. Mm-hmm. 
um, and adapt. There's, it was supposed there, to be a living document. It was supposed to be a living document, right? Um, there, there are man-made horrors that, that the founding fathers couldn't have dreamed of, and it has nothing to do with firearms. It has everything to do with uh, your personal information, uh, your uh, interactions online, social media, AI. There's things that they, they could, not, could not have even conceived. The idea that some corporation would have all of your information on everything, every little thing that you do, and that somehow because you go, yep, I accept the terms and conditions, that's enough for them to have everything about you. That's enough for them to listen on your phone and record everything and to suggest you ads. They had, they had no idea to be able to conceptualize that. And so we need, to, we need to put an amendment into the Bill of Rights and go, okay, who owns this data? Do you have a right to that data? Should you be able to get all that data and go, you don't have it. You must delete all copies of my data. Or, it or, is, or corporations, people. That's another corporations, uh, people, right? Yeah. Citizens United. Like those are those are things where you go. Uh, are corporations people? Uh, no, they 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 are not people. Are they made up of people? Yes, but the idea that you're going to give them the same ability to fund and go, oh yeah, they can they can give millions, billions to to whoever they want. You, however, as an individual contributor, are allotted uh, these five digits to be able to to give to any politician. You can give ten thousand dollars individual contributions. Congratulations. Whereas these corporations can go, oh yeah, we've got that. Don't you worry. Like we've got millions. We can, we can buy all the politicians we need to, to, to make these things go forward so that they benefit us. So I, I think that, you know, for, for all the, the corruption and corporatism that, that the founding fathers saw and experienced early on, I don't think they, they could have foreseen that it would, that the corporations would be so embedded with the U.S. government, that they would use them to the extent that we've seen them with these different releases, with you know Matt Taibbi and the uh, the release of the Twitter files. Yeah, right. Where you're like, I think they'd oh, they're, be shocked. they're colluding. Yeah. Like, I think they'd be shocked that we haven't added any new shit to it. You know, they'd be like, you right. guys yeah. still have? Is, you, you didn't add anything? This what are we? Or it, this was been in our second civil war. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I I hate to end this, guys, but it is. It's already war. five o'clock. Sorry. We put in some hey, work here. Um, yeah. Do you want to plug where people can find you guys? Where they can find the Humboldt Libertarian Party, all your stuff. I mean, you just said it right there, right? Uh, the Libertarian Party of Humboldt County. We're we're on Facebook. Uh, we just started an Instagram um, that we're going to start uh, filling more with with more short form content, um, little uh, quirk saying suggestions. Uh, we're going to be pitching things about community activism and how to uh, take more of a, a, a guerrilla activism approach, right? Uh, the The idea is not that we're going to be organizing. Uh, community cleanup events. Instead, it's going to be informing other people that, hey, these things are happening because there's a lot of good efforts out there and we don't need to be the ones in charge. All we need to do to do our part is say, hey, it's there. Go help. Go be involved. There's already like-minded people like you out there that want to do cleanups at the Bay, that want to want to help out the homeless, that they want to help out with the, the little free libraries, that they want to help out with with the schools. Get involved with these things. So we don't have to we, you're, you probably won't see you know, uh, a lot of events put on by the Libertarian Party of Humboldt County. We'll probably be sponsoring things and we'll be taking more of an active role in, in helping aggregate all of these community efforts because we don't need to be the ones in charge. We think you can figure out best where you can serve. And so we're just trying to get as much information to people as possible about liberty, economy, rights, doesn't matter. Uh, so the Libertarian Party of, of Humboldt County on Facebook and Instagram Oh, and be sure to show up at Six Rivers, uh, 6 p.m. every third Friday. Yep, every uh, third Friday. Yep, for uh, for riveting discussion around uh, Liberty Local, 
And uh, we are also going to be at the Humboldt County Fair from August 17th to the 27th. Uh, if we can continue to to move forward with that, we've applied. They haven't approved yet, but I, I have a good feeling that they're going to uh, they're going to give us the stamp of approval, and we'll end up being there. Uh, we'll also be making an effort to go to Canafest this summer as well to to table. There's a lot of crossover between the libertarian movement and uh, cannabis. So, okay, well that should be exciting. Yeah, really. Thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun. We'll do it again. Yeah, awesome. Yeah.